What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. And now we are going to translate KKSM Oceanside. This is my left hand. Repeat after me. Questa è la mia mano sinistra. AM 1320. This is my right hand. Repeat after me. Questa è la mia mano destra. Radio Revolution. I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Drones are being used in drone strikes, and I support that entirely and feel the president was right. There's a reason why we shouldn't be using drones. It's because we don't just take out the target. We take out a lot of innocent civilians in these countries where these drones attack. But this is basically blowing up in our faces. We've seen the blowback all across the Middle East. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? Free I hate categories. Categories okay if you're going to the grocery store. But for me, the category screwed a lot of people up. Make everything metal. Blacker than the blackest black times infinity. Thought Radio, San Diego's source for heavy metal and other genres that are ignored by mainstream radio. San Diego's only libertarian talk show in a conservative-dominated market. More hard-hitting journalism than even the professionals themselves. Free Thought Radio. Free speech. Free expression. And free snow call. Only on KKSM Oceanside AM 1320. The Radio Revolution. Podcast airing on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. As it applies to you and me, our country isn't free. Welcome everybody to another episode of Free Thought Radio, freethoughtmedia.org. I'm your host, Alex Fiddle, and you can, you can hear Free Thought Radio live every Monday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. On KKSM, the Radio Revolution, AM thirteen twenty, and Cox Cable Channel nine five seven, uh, streaming live at freethoughtmedia.org/live with the, both the webcam and the KKSM audio stream. Podcasting on iTunes, search for Freethought, look for Freethought AAC, and subscribe there. And also on the LRN.FM Liberty Radio Network weekly podcast loop. And you know, as, as a journalist, I'm starting to feel less and less safe in the country that's supposed to have this you know thing called the First Amendment and a free press and a, and a fourth estate. Uh, but now with Senator Dianne Feinstein introducing that S-987, which basically, you know, to make an organization like WikiLeaks no longer journalists, so then they can order drone strikes and kill Julian Assange and, and maybe kill some other people as well. That's what Chris Hedges versus the NDAA was all about. So we're going to talk about that uh, later on, But because tonight's uh, or this hour's subject is Michael Hastings. And, you know, not, not just journalists, whistleblowers, you know, have a bad day. Chelsea Manning, uh, formerly Bradley Manning, was... Uh, sentenced to 35 years. We'll talk more about that later, but uh, my guest for tonight in this hour is the journalist from 
San Diego Channel 6, the CW. Uh, you know, with independent affiliates like that that are not related to these big corporate conglomerate national news stations, they actually get to tell the truth. I had Ben Swan on the show a few weeks ago. He was from Fox 19 in Cincinnati. Now he's like a world-renowned, you know, truth-telling journalist, and he has his own website now, benswan.com, swan with two N's. But I think Kim Dvorak is like the Ben Swan of San Diego or maybe, you know, gender-associated, gender the Amber Lion of San Diego. And she's been uh, doing a lot of uh, hard-hitting investigation regarding the death of Rolling Stone journalist Michael Hastings, who only five hours after uh, fi uh, frantically emailing people that he was being investigated by the FBI, uh, he exploded in a car crash. Uh, so it's just a, it's a very interesting case. So please uh, strap your seatbelts in and, and take a listen to what Kim Dvorak has to say about her findings in the investigation of the death of Rolling Stone journalist Michael Hastings. Joining me now is Kimberly Dvorak. She is an independent investigative journalist, most known for her work with San Diego Six, the CW. And uh, she's been doing a lot of special investigations into the story surrounding the late journalist Michael Hastings. Kimberly, thank you very much for joining the program. Thank you for having me. No problem. So talk a little bit about uh, how you became a journalist and uh, what made you, uh, whether in the process of being a journalist or uh, what made you actually want to become the journalist, what made you start to realize the importance of a free press and the fourth estate and why do you think uh, those uh, institutions should be fought for? Um, that's a very good question. My career in journalism started way back in the late 80s um, after college and I found myself in South Africa actually and witnessed a lot of the ANC riots down there and at that point um, I was down there visiting some friends hanging out and uh, I found myself in the middle of all this and decided that it was a good time to work on um, a a, a new career, I guess. I was in marketing before that, and I did, and I walked away from a stressful marketing job where we dealt with hostile takeovers, and I needed to get a break. I went to Africa for a little bit, and found up, uh, you know, wound up finding a new career in essence, and that's kind of how my my career started in the late '80s with uh, the ANC uprisings. Definitely, T talk about some of the the recent uh, uh, stories you've covered. Uh, um, what you've done in, with your uh, tenure working with San Diego Six. Okay. Um, well, you know, I've covered a lot of different stories around the world, um, and it's interesting to see the, the, the waves that go in and out of um, journalists. Um, it seems like we've really gotten away from um, the mainstream media, at least, has gotten away from telling the story. You know, they, they have a, a set script kind of set in front of them. That's what the party line is. Either party, it doesn't matter. That's what they're going to get out. And I think what's really lost in all this right now with journalism is that, you know, journalists are just afraid to get out and start asking questions. I mean, when you look out and you see the, the, the history that's taking place right now, I mean, we're in traumatic times. The whole world seems to be on fire. I mean, the Middle East is on fire, and nobody wants to ask why. They, everybody will report on the actual story, but nobody wants to find out why. And the why often is what we really need to be reporting on, because that's, that, that gets the question started. Now, I think 
the one of the greatest things in the last few years is the internet. Now that's the greatest equalizer that journalism has had in a very long time because it allows folks like yourself and young kids and people who just want to get out and ask questions and get get their the, their ideas out. It creates dialogue, and we no longer seem to want to have dialogue. We come home, we park in our garages, shut the garage door, and it seems to be that's kind of the end of the dialogue we had in this country. And right now with the Internet, I think we're getting right back into the heat of it, and we're going to have a lot of um, interesting times ahead. I think that there are going to be a lot of marches and demonstrations like we had in the 60s. Oh, yeah. And I, I just think that you know this is an exciting time, especially for young journalists to be growing up in. Definitely, and I'm always covering a lot of marches and stuff, and it's 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 a very interesting uh, time to be a journalist. Do you do you find it's uh, there are more people like yourself in uh, in and around independent affiliates, like for example, like uh, some, some a place like San Diego Six, rather than national kind of anchors like just Fox News or or uh, or CBS. Yeah, well, when you look at things like that, um, you're looking at you've got the three major news networks. I mean, they pretty much have their re reporters. They're not hiring. And with the death, I guess I can say that, of the newspapers, um, newsprint and magazines, um, you're seeing a lot of really good reporters that if they didn't position themselves to work independently and through the Internet, that they would not have a job right now. And a lot of them don't have a job. So I think that, you know, I've started working um, on the internet type, uh, you know, publications for about maybe six years now, and I think it positioned me well because now I'm ready and prepared moving forward as the internet kind of takes over. And I think what we're going to see the next uh, takeover is I think we're going to see people um, turning to the internet to watch a show like this rather than tuning into cable news networks that give their standard, they're the left, they're the right, they're the super left, they're the super right type of uh, broadcasting, I think we're going to see a lot more on the Internet. And I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, our TVs are going to kind of go dark here. here. Um, and, I, and again, I just think that that, you know, is a, a tribute to the young folks who are so connected electronically. And you guys are on top of the Facebook and the Twitter and all those things, Snapchat, whatever it may be. But you guys are plugged into that. You get it. And it's exciting to see you guys get that. Thank you. Um, for those just joining, I'm speaking with Kimberly, Kimberly Dvorak. She is an independent investigative journalist uh, who works with San Diego 6, the CW. Um, and you have been doing a lot of special in-depth reports with San Diego 6 surrounding the death of Rolling Stone magazine journalist Michael Hastings, um, who is most noted for... Um, uh, exposing a lot of things regarding General Stanley McChrystal. I unfortunately only found out about uh, Michael Hastings when he died, uh, and I looked at his work and I saw how intense and truthful and blunt he was and uh, how many people in power he uncloaked, and he has become an instant hero of mine. Talk a bit about who Michael Hastings was, um, his work, the impact of his work, when you discovered his work, and, and how did you end up as a journalist at the actual crash site? Okay, um, well, with Michael Hastings, um, I never met him personally. Um, I knew of his work about uh, General Stanley McChrystal. I think it was um, an important story that got out. And I've talked to a lot of folks um, that were friends with Michael and friends with Mr. Uh, Gen the General McChrystal. And they were saying that, you know, that he never went into the story 
thinking he was going to have a major general resign in disgrace in essence. That was not what he was doing. And in fact, he took his story to several members of the military to let them read it, to say, look, you know, here's my story. I want to make sure I got, the, got it right. When you talk about military, they have their titles a certain way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do the same thing if I'm writing about the military, make sure it gets read by someone in the military so we get all the, the terminology correct. And he did that. Nobody thought it would lead to this. Um, and some even said that McChrystal kind of said a lot of these things knowing that he was going to get in trouble in the end and he didn't want to be in Afghanistan, so to speak, when the, the music stopped and there were no chairs left, that he wanted out of there. And he knew, he saw the downward spiral that was Afghanistan and he wanted out. So there, there are a few different takes as to why the, you know, the story got such great coverage as it did. But Michael had a, had a way about him, about bringing it down to normal stuff, like talking to you or talking to anybody else. He, he just had that common touch. And I think when you talk to elite media and you work around elite media, they, they all write for each other. They don't even write for the general population. They're writing for each other to see who wrote the snottiest story or who wrote this and that. And they all protect each other, even though there may be a leak that comes out about something or other. They all they circle around and they're circling around this this president. They did it with Bush as well and Clinton and others. They all do it because, it, you know, if they don't, you know, toe the line. They don't get the um, they don't get the time with the with the politicians or whatnot. So they have to they got to pay to play, so to speak. And some of them even like go to super soaker parties at Biden's house over the weekend. Oh, yes, they do. Absolutely. They do that. I mean, and let me tell you, that's I mean, I've been back there for that. So, I mean, when you get invited to go to CIA parties or you get oh, invited geez. to go on the circuit back in D.C., it's, you know, I mean, you can get sucked into it. And even Michael, when he um, signed on and started covering the Obama administration, his wife like chided him saying, oh, my gosh, you've drank the Kool-Aid. You know, you're you're so in with him. And it was like an innocuous reporting that he, like six weeks after a meet and greet with the president where they all had drinks and they all got to ask the president off the record, he wrote about it in passing like six weeks later. And when he did that, that, that was the elite media turned, turned on him. I mean, they turned or they pulled him aside and said, look, we trusted you. We thought that we could you know, bring you in and you'd be one of us. And, and he got literally kicked off the plane. Wow. Um, and, you know, those kind of things. So he wasn't an elite media guy. And I think that's why he resonated so much with people. And is that the one where he basically says Obama is, is uh, like as big of a neoconservative as Bush and points out that someone from yeah. the staff said F Bradley Manning. And by the way, I'm wearing a Bradley Manning yeah. shirt. I think that would make a great Hillary 2016 <laughs> slogan, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, and let me tell you, that's, you know, w when you start doing things like that back there and when you start doing that and it upsets the tea cart, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, you know, people don't appreciate it. I mean, I don't know how I would like to watch it for a period of time because I would also, I think, find a lot of um, uh, negative things to write about. And I don't think I could really keep my mouth shut. I think it, I, I'm just a journalist. I want to get the truth out there. I'm. Whatever the story is, I think that is where we need to follow it. Michael did that, and he, the story led to McChrystal um, resigning, and, and that was so be it. And he moved on, and he's written several stories since. And I just think it's important that people realize that once you get outside the beltway, that you're able to write in a, in a manner that 
you need to make sure you're looking at it and you're, and you're looking at the big picture, not looking at the one little tiny thing. You've got to follow the story. You've got to look at the broad picture and draw the audience in. And Michael had a really good and unique talent of doing just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, he had been sending frantic emails to his friends and colleagues stating that the FBI was investigating him as well as some of they were going to try to interrogate some of his friends and that he, quote, needed to go off the grid for a, wh- a little while. Uh, that the email was released by WikiLeaks, and those emails were were dated to literally hours before his death. Um, yes. Talk about how you ended up as a journalist on the on the crash scene, the the timing of the crash in relation to those emails and his situation, and yes. some some of the details of the crash itself that you noticed um, at the uh, at the event at the place itself. Yeah. Um, when I found out that Michael had passed away, um, even though, like I said, I didn't know him personally, it just as a journalist, it hit me. Yeah. I mean, I just sat and I thought about it for a good long time. I mean, and, you know, I sat there and, and the more I thought about it, the more I decided, you know what, I can't let this go. This happened in L.A. I live in San Diego. I can go up and go do a little bit of investigating to see what's going on. This just doesn't seem right. Something's wrong here. Um, so I did. I went up and I started asking questions. I, I talked to, went to the LAPD headquarters downtown, um, and I went to the fire department. I went to the tow company. I mean, I went to the the business nearby where the one worker had actually witnessed the crash, and and nothing seemed to fit. Um, there were, you know, I was asking a lot of questions. There were there were no skid marks on the road whatsoever. And I mean none, zero, not even six inches of a skid mark. And the car literally made a 60 degree turn into a palm tree. Um, And so I started doing a little more research on that and found out that, um, you know, perhaps one explanation for that happening would be the Boston brakes or the drive-by wire, they call it. And that is where a smartphone or a computer or an iPad type of thing can actually take over a vehicle's you know control system and most people will go that's crazy that can't happen but they have to just think about what happened with OnStar we have a lot of people have OnStar in their vehicles and they have in that that feature that if somebody steals a car and it's reported stolen OnStar can immediately stop that vehicle from moving and so as I did the research on and talked to some of the drone manufacturers here in San Diego who obviously fly vehicles remotely and asked them about it and they were telling me something really interesting they said to be honest I mean we know that cars can be obviously you know hacked and operated um, you know electronically but um, you really don't even need to go that far cars have anywhere from 35 to 70 sensors on their inside the vehicle and all you have to do is trigger a sensor and the car will do whatever that sensor tells it not to do so there's no hacking there's no there's no trace whatsoever so that really concerned me um obviously you know you're thinking great you'd be driving down the road and somebody just said okay we're going to knock off the brakes on this and you're going to you know crash and whatnot now it hasn't been proven and it hasn't been disproven this you know the the fact of you know michael's accident nobody knows I mean, there, the, there's another theory going around that he faked his death, that he wanted to go under the radar, much like his last email um, said, and that he wanted to, you know, fake his death to get out and work on the story the way he could without having eyes watching him at all times. Um, you know, that's, a, that's another interesting play on all this, uh, although there apparently was at least a body in the vehicle and, you know, who's 
was that if it wasn't Michael? So, you know, that's a little tougher thing to 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 prove, I think. And I, I don't think that that's what happened. But, you know, and or, you know, the, the Mercedes, you know, it could have just been a freak accident. I mean, it absolutely one in a million type, you know, accidents. But, you know, when I call Mercedes and ask them how many times their cars blow up like this, especially the 2013 vehicles and whatnot, and they said zero. Their cars are designed to not catch fire, and their sensors, if they detect something, will shut off the gas valves and the you know the transmission fluid that's all flammable. And the way they've manufactured their car since 1969, um, they've actually gone and investigated scenes to improve their cars year upon year, and they have an incredible safety record. So, so. Mercedes is inclined to believe that it wasn't their fault, and if it was Mercedes' fault, then BMW and Audi are going to be really excited because now you know they're going to go, "Don't buy a you know Mercedes that explodes" type of thing. So there's there's just a lot more investigation that needs to take place here. I've put in uh, a number of FOIAs, and until we get the FOIAs back, until we start getting the police report back, I mean, you're not going to have all the details and all of this at this point can be speculation but i mean my my speculation in the stories is guided by talking to military explosive guys by talking to atf agents by talking to you know drone manufacturers and computer manufacturers and university professors and and this is how i'm kind of you know trending my story and this is how i'm kind of forming my story and you know, with with always stating out there that we don't know what happened to, to Michael. I mean, it could very well be a freak accident, and you have to always keep that at the back of your mind. But you know, the the, the let's put it this way: the circumstantial evidence is starting to pile up, mm -hmm. and um, and a, a lot of circumstantial cases win in court. So that's kind of where we are with the investigation. Definitely. What what did you notice about the distance of the engine? from the actual car itself in relation to it exploding. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the engine was found roughly 193 feet from the vehicle and the transmission drivetrain was also ejected a little bit, maybe 175 feet um, from the vehicle. I mean, that's an incredibly telling situation. I mean, that meant such great brunt force ejected that from the vehicle. And what force would allow would do that for a car mercedes has never had that before and so again i just think that this you know it's another indicator the 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 fact that there are no skid marks the fact that the engine and the drivetrain were found so far away from the vehicle the fact that um when now we we've seen the very last surveillance video um that was taken I guess the seconds before his death, we saw we were able to, you know, we're able to detect that his vehicle was actually slowing down, not speeding up before it hit the tree. Um, it looked like there was some sort of explosion in, in the um, intersection before he even got down to the the palm tree. We, I mean, there are just so many different things that are in play on this that we have to continue to look into it. And as journalists, I think we owe it to Michael. And I think Mike would really want us to, like, find out what exactly happened, even if it was just an accident. I think it's something that he would really appreciate. And the fact that a lot of the mainstream media decided not to cover it, I think, is, is pretty, pretty sad. Because I think oh, yeah. when journalists are out there, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough job. Definitely. What do you make of the former George Bush cyber terrorists are coming out and saying that this crash lines up with a car hacking as well as a 
a representative of DARPA saying that they do, in fact, do they do have the technology to do, as you said, take over a car by remote. Yeah, well, with, with regards to the DARPA um, report, I actually um, did see that report online, and they're working frantically right now to come up with some sort of security, encrypted security for vehicles, because now they recognize that this could happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, folks out there, you know, should be concerned about this, not just because Michael Hastings was involved in an accident like this. Just think of like a Mexican drug cartel got a hold of this. Just think about if terrorists got a hold of this or the mafia in general got a hold of this technology. You know, they could, you know, create some pretty substantial accidents with this. So at least DARPA has acknowledged it. So I think at this point we can say, yeah, there is definitely the capability to drive by wire on this. That, you know, you can, if you have the know-how, you can take over a vehicle. So at least they're trying to do something with it. Um, And it's, it, it's in, important that they, they follow up on this and let people know after the, the survey comes out and after they've done the study what they can do moving forward. Because, I, I mean, we're moving into a big dangerous world out there I mean, with all the surveillance. And you guys know with all of your, uh, you know, Facebook, all your technology, you guys are on your phones and all that stuff constantly. I am too. But um, <laughs> um, just that you know, you, you want to have all the, the information to be able to protect yourself. And you want to make sure that, you know, when you're on, you know, camera that you're, you know, whatever you say is most likely out there forever. And you need to know that, you know, there there is a dark side out there and people need to be, be aware that there is a dark side. So, I mean, you know, who, who knows? I mean, what happened with this? All we can do is just continue the investigation and follow it. And as leads break, we get it out and report, report the news. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about some of the uh, forensic misconduct. The most bizarre one to me is the body being sent home in an urn. Michael Hastings was cremated without the family's permission, without them even knowing that they were going to do it. Um, what is that all about? Um, well, I think with the, whether the family wanted it or didn't want it, um, we've got conflicting reports on that now. So I just kind of want to say that. I mean, he sure. did go home in an urn. So, I mean, that you know that's absolutely true. He did go home in an urn. And we also know that by doing that, there is absolutely no forensic evidence left with that body. So we yeah. don't know that he may have been dead prior to the accident. Nobody knows. But with that being, with the body being cremated, there is no more forensic evidence. That's done. So now we're going to have to look at the research or the police department and and folks doing the investigation in this are going to have to look to the car. Um, for other factors. Um, I was told by ATF that the vehicle will still at this day, even being two months, and they said really up to about six months, they can still get to that car. And by using the bomb sniffing dogs they have, they are able to detect some 26,000 different types of um, flammable, um, you know, components that could, you know, be used to say, look, you know, we found thermite on the vehicle or we found, you know, some sort of um, C4 on the vehicle or whatnot. They they have that, their dogs can do that. So they're going to have to turn to that vehicle. And the the big uh, $64,000 question at this point is where's the car? Because everybody, I've been looking for, I, I know where they took it afterwards, but I went into the, you know, the the tow facility, and it's like all locked up in in a garage type thing. And they were like laughing at me, like, "Yeah, yeah, we know you want the car. You're not going to get anywhere near the car." But that's the question because with the car lies all of the clues at this point. Because now Michael has been buried. 
um, there's nothing left. I mean, there's nothing that we can get to through that. So we really, I mean, and I'm hoping they haven't smashed the car up. And I'm hoping that, that eventually Mercedes will have access to that. I'm hoping that his wife is actually a widow, has come out and said, look, you know, we need to do an investigation into this and sign off so at least Mercedes can do their work on the vehicle. But at this date, we have no idea um, where we are. And, you know, the last interview that Elise had, she said that the LAPD still had an active investigation, even though they came out the day after saying there was no foul play. They are still active in their investigation, and um, they have not reported any of the toxicology or any of those types of things yet. So we're we're still we're getting closer, but we're not quite there. Wow. Talk a bit about the, some of the, the the conduct of the police around the uh, around the investigation, as well as the media in general. Yeah. Well. The, I mean, an interesting thing with the police, I mean, I think when, you know, my first went to downtown Los Angeles, um, they were, un I mean, I know the rules. I mean, I live in California and I'm credentialed and, and it, you know, the same rules apply in San Francisco, San Diego, L.A. And when I went into the um, downtown headquarters, I asked for the police report and, and you're, you're supposed to be able to, you know, go into a room and they provide you with it and you can't take it out, but you go in, you can read it and come out. That's California law. And the guy walks down, the media guy, and he's like, look, I don't know how you guys do things, but we're the number two media market share in the, in the country, and we do things differently here. And I turned around and looked at him. Of course, my attorney was with me, our attorney, to make sure that we didn't cross any lines. And he looks like, oh, God, here she goes. I'm like, you know, I don't know how you do things here, but we're the number six market share in San Diego, and we live in the same state. I know the rules. I, I have, you know, an absolute right to get access to the police report. And um, they said they weren't going to budge on that. I would have to go through and file my uh, FOIA or in California, it's the California Pub Public Records Act. Wow. I did so. And they gave me the 911 text is all they gave me and said the report wasn't ready yet and that we would have to wait. I've refiled, um, you know, asking for some additional information with the LAPD as well. Um, the, the general theme with all the different police departments I went to and the people I talked to, um, just very, very rude, just non-responsive. Um, I can't, you know, we're, 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 no comment, no comment, no comment. And, you know, when you went to the LA Fire Department and went to the one that responded to the scene, you know, they smile and they're like, oh God, we've been told we cannot comment on this. Unfortunately, we'd like to, yeah, our station is the one that went and they were very nice, but they said they were told not to do this. So. You know, and and as of yet, we still don't have anybody coming on camera or even in a written story coming out saying, okay, this is LAPD spokesperson talking about this case. Zero. Nobody. Um, and, you know, even the person handling the case, Ms. White, um, Detective White, and she just, you know, nothing. She won't even return phone calls. So, I mean, when you have that, you, you, I mean, in your mind, I think, hopefully, that people are going to go, wait a minute, if this was just an accident like they said, why, just don't, why not just talk about it and let us know? The easiest way to make journalists go away, just give us the report. We'll look at it. We'll come to our own agreement about it and go, maybe it was just a tragic accident or maybe there's something else to look into. But that's the easiest way to solve this. Just release the information. The fact that they don't want to and it's been two months, something might be wrong. I mean, in, 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 it's worth questioning. I think it's worth questioning. Certainly. Uh, talk a bit about the CIA director 
John Brennan being the subject of supposedly the subject of Hastings uh, next investigation before he died. How did that relate it relate to an email captured by WikiLeaks from the Stratford Corporation saying that there is a literal war on journalism for anyone that opposes the Obama agenda? Yes. Well, that was our latest story that we uh, broke on Sunday. Um, I uh, decided that um, after I heard his his wife actually confirmed what I was working on for a few weeks back in Washington, D.C., I was working on a few things, and I found out that his story was indeed. He was working on a John Brennan story with the CIA. So she confirmed that for me, and I decided that I thought it was best to take the the WikiLeak email and ask the CIA um, if they care to respond. Not expecting a response from them. To be honest, I did not expect anything from them. The, I send the email, 10 minutes later, I get an email back. Yes, we can confirm that um, Michael Hastings was working on a story about Mr. Brennan. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, they got back to me. So then. Um, I, I sent an email back and I went back and I included the WikiLeaks um, email leak, the actual email from WikiLeaks saying that, you know, there was a witch hunt on journalists and Brennan was in charge of this coming from Stratfor. And I sent that and that prompted an immediate phone call <laughs> oh. from, the, from the CIA. And they, they were just curious as to what, you know, what angle I was working on this story. Um, and I, I said that, you know, I just, you know, it's kind of a curious statement. He just passed away. Um, there, it's definitely suspicious um, circumstances. It hasn't been ruled out an accident yet. And, you know, I wouldn't be, a, you know, investigative journalist if I didn't follow up. And, you know, I would be happy to reprint a word-for-word -word statement from Mr. Brennan. And the, you know, the, the guy I spoke with, he was pretty nice about it. I mean, he's like, well, you know that, you know, that that's not true. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, I, you know, I put it out there and I give you your fair claim to this. You can look at it. You can, you know, you're, you know, you can say yes, no, maybe so on this. But, you know, I, you know, I'm being fair about this. You know, I, I think you wanted to see where I was writing the story if I was going to accuse the CIA of anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, you know, he, he kind of responded, um, well, you know, we're definitely we'll definitely have a statement for you, and we'll email that out to you, so we have that. But um, you know, I just want you to know that we knew Michael. We were saddened by his death, and we had a cordial working relationship with him. And by cordial, you know, it means that whenever he, you know, sent emails, of course, they probably responded with, uh, you know, an email. And 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 I said that's fine, and and. He's like, okay, well, you're going to print that. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I'll probably, you know, I'll, you know, do something along that line. So, but I really want a statement. I want you to, you know, just address the actual email that came from Stratfor. And um, Stratfor declined to comment. They, they still have not responded to any requests. So they, you know, refused to comment. CIA had the comment. Now, what was kind of interesting after that is the, you know, the CIA um, agent kind of said that, you know, well, what story are you working on? I said, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm just covering the story. I said, I don't know where it's going to go next. I said, but I also have FOIAs out to the, the DOD and the Department of Army because there were some unchallenged threats that were leveled against Michael um, from the McChrystal um, folks in his camp. I said, so, you know, I've emailed them. So, I mean, if, you know, it just seems to me that people in the military, you're not allowed to really go out and threaten reporters. That's not kind of the, 
you know, the you're you're not really taught that in the military. So yep. you know, those cha- those thought those comments have gone unchallenged. So I want an answer to those, and I'm curious as to why Michael never asked for an answer to those charges because he he admitted to them and he said that he didn't think twice about they were going to come harm him or anything like that. So you know, it's just it's another interesting angle, and I think that you know when you look at the story, the CIA certainly needs to be looked into, and Brennan certainly needs to be looked into. But also DOD holds a lot of this because, you know, right now, I mean, nobody's come out and said, you know, we never made those like threats to Michael. I have no idea where he got that from. There was never anything like that. So, you know, I mean, I'm stuck between two worlds, kind of. I mean, the yeah. super dark black world and then the military world. So, you know, we're, we're stuck in the in the FOIA of FOIAs right now. We FOIAed everybody and we're waiting for response. Wow. For those just joining, I'm speaking with Kimberly Dvorak. She's an independent investigative journalist, um, closely working with San Diego Six. We're talking about her coverage of the Michael Hastings death. Um, how, how does the the how does Michael Hastings uh, relate to other people who have similarly fought for open information, like Julian Assange, yeah. Aaron Swartz, who is actually still being prosecuted past his death? Um, yep. Bradley Manning, Jeremy Hammond, and Barrett Brown, how do they all kind of fit into this picture? Well, I think they all fit in together, to be honest. I've been working with Project PM people, which is with Barrett Brown's people, and I've tried to get an interview. I was going to fly down to Texas to go interview him and um, was told that there's now a pending gag order, so he's not allowed to talk to the the, um, media whatsoever. It's kind of concerning that um, a guy who basically threatened an FBI agent via tweet, 160 characters, um, is in prison for almost a year without bail. Um, I think he's involved in this some way, shape, or form. Michael Hastings admitted that he was working. I mean, actually, I got from Project PM that, you know, Michael was set. He was going to go down and interview Barrett, that he was working with Barrett's people, and, you know, he was closely following this and it was one of the, the hot stories that he wanted to, you know, cover. I, I don't know if he was tied to Aaron Schwartz of Reddit, but a few of Reddit's people reached out to me when I first broke the story and they were appreciative of the work that I was doing on this. I think that there was definitely a connection between Swartz and Hastings. I don't know what it was, and I'm inclined to believe that they're, you know, they were somehow funding Michael in some way, shape, or form with some of his work. I don't know if you know, um, there was another um, computer hacker from New Zealand, Barnaby Jack, who just recently, I think it was maybe three, four weeks ago in San Francisco, was mysteriously found dead in an apartment. And um, wow. he yeah, he was 35 years old and he was young. And, and the, you know, the, the, you call up to San Francisco to find out what's going on with that. Um, we won't have any, any idea what happened there for the next, um, I don't know, five or six months. You know, in five or six months, this was a healthy person. They have the body. They're, you know, but, but they they won't respond to this whatsoever. And um, I'm inclined to believe that he had something to do with all this as well. He was getting ready to go to the Black Hat um, convention where um, Mr. Alexander of the NSA went and spoke and was booed basically off stage. Um, 
by saying that we don't listen to your phone calls, we don't uh, read your emails. I mean, the, the, the folks there are like, yeah, right, so it's something we don't know. But I think that, you know, that there, that's another connection. And he's a definitely, it's a suspicious death. So, you know, it, I mean, when you start putting all these together on a whiteboard, there are a lot of coincidences out there. And I just think that, you know, putting it together is going to be the important st step that we have moving forward. And it's going to require a lot of work. But I, I think that people are waking up to it. I'm telling you, hundreds of thousands of people have been watching this story. There have been ground, grassroots groundswell on this. I mean, letters, I mean, emails. I, you cannot believe the response I've gotten from this. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And it's what keeps me going on this because if that many people care about it, and that's these are people from the left, the right, they just don't care. They're done with all of the parties at this point, I think. And they're like, you know what? We need to get back to we need to get back to what we used to do in this country. Mm -hmm. And what's going on now is just completely unacceptable. And I think I'd just like to add final here before we uh, finish up that you know the danger with the NSA program, CIA people listening into our emails, you know, grabbing um, text messages and whatnot. I mean, they're doing this to generals, to judges, to legislators. Uh, apparently it doesn't matter United States around the world there's a huge huge issue with that because at what point does this not be corrupt anymore mm -hmm. I mean you know corrupt you know people out there are going to get the information and say look you know you're going to vote this way on a bill that's the danger that this information carries with it that we have a small group of people running this country and then running the world I think People need to really sit down and think of the dangers of the of a government that has absolutely 100% of your data. You can't go anywhere. Your car, your phone, everything is tracked. That is a very, very dangerous, dangerous place to be as America. And exactly. you know, we need to fight against that. And you know, I, like I said, I'm looking to you, young guys down here in college. It's gonna. We got to pass the torch to you. And I think you guys get it. I think for. I have a daughter that's in college, and I told her for the first time when Mr. Snowden came out and did his thing, I said, Cameron, for the first time, I'm like, I totally think that your generation is going to do something great. I said, this is the first time I think that you guys have the capability. You get it. And she's like, duh, we came out of being surveilled 24-7 by our parents. I don't want to have that happen to me. <laughs> when I move out so so that you know I mean I think it's a good thing and and, and I, you know I encourage the the young the youth of this country to rise up and and support your causes get out there and and get other other kids involved in this you guys have to be involved in the process and start marching like what we did in the 60s I mean got to go out and do it exactly and, and uh, it involves also making your own media and yep. uh, uh, me as a journalist, I, as a sort of wrap-up question, it's kind of got a few questions in one, but uh, let, let's say, let, let's just say, you know, 100% uh, Michael Hastings' car uh, crash was an accident. The government still has the legal ability to kill journalists if they wanted to under the National Defense Authorization Act, which is what the subject of Chris Hedges' uh, lawsuit was. So, so that question plus any final words and where people can find your work online. Okay. Um, the, the final question on journalists. Um, as a journalist, and I've covered Fast and Furious, Benghazi, um, House of Death, which is a drug cartel story that happened out of um, Texas where we actually 
you know, were watching drug cartels people, and we knew that they were murdering people in Juarez. Um, I've covered a lot of these stories. I've been given information by some folks, and it used to be that when you were a journalist and you got information that you had immunity, you were the fourth estate, that you actually were, you, you wrote your stories and you were protected by the First Amendment, especially as a journalist, and I'm a credentialed member of the media. Um, and I think that what happened now when you see um, Eric Holder of the DOJ come out um, and say that, you know, James Rosen can be a co-conspirator for getting information and having information handed to him, um, I think is a dangerous precedent to set. A lot of journalists, that's the way we get information, especially now knowing that we're being listened to and, and our emails. I mean, that's the only way we can get information. And and go, going along with that, I think what you have to worry about as a journalist is we've had a lot of sources that, you know what, I'd love to talk to you. I can't. Because yeah. if I do, I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to lose my job. And I think that what this administration in particular has done is they have turned on journalists. And that's their way. That's, that's chilling. That's yeah. chilling as a writer. So when you look at that, 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 that should just enrage journalists. And I'm surprised that they're not out there in, you know, just every day, you know, Bumping the book down, saying, wait a minute, guys, wake up. We're losing our career. We're losing our freedom. And when, you know, I was actually asked a question a couple of weeks ago, and I was on t doing a TV interview, and they said, well, you know, Snowden went to Russia and he went to China, and there's no free press there. So how do you explain that? And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have a free press in this country either. Exactly. How dare you say Thank that? You. Because we don't. You have to FOIA for every piece of information. You call the police up. They're not going to talk to you. You're stonewalled. We do not have a free press in this country anymore. Lesser and of two evils is still evil. Absolutely. So that. So I think that's going to be my final word. But that that that's very chilling when mm -hmm. media and the journalists that are covering these tough stories face prosecution and um, and it's really. It, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to, I mean, it, uh, if a lot of the journalists don't wake up and start covering this stuff, it'll be too late. Mm -hmm. So as far as Mr. Snowden going to those countries, he, did, he, he just went to another country because this country does not have a free press anymore. And it hasn't had a free press for, since, I will say after 9-11, it really clamped yeah. down. Um, and I've noticed it since then. And I'm telling you, it's everybody better wake up to that fact because we're not getting all the information now. Yeah, and not, not all of it's the government's fault. Some of it is just lapdog complacency. Yeah, or it's defense contractors yep. or big pharma. I mean, you can, <laughs> I mean, I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and especially with the new Dianne Feinstein bill 987 to define journalism, I don't think I'm going to be protected under that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what, what and, you know, let's take this full circle to where we started this as the Internet being the great equalizer and all this. Mm -hmm. I think the Internet being the great equalizer is Dianne Feinstein's worst nightmare because she doesn't want the world knowing what she's done in her 30 years of being a senator. And I was told by um, Mr. William Binney, who was who left the NSA um, after 9/11 when they, there was you know the the word first started out that this was going on, and he said that how they've gotten a away with this for so long is only a handful of people know this. And so it's like they say, if one of us goes down, we all go down. Mm -hmm. So that handful of people protect it with everything they have. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the people 
forget it. So I think that the internet is uh, Ms. Feinstein's worst nightmare. And, you know, we have got to get out there and get this stuff out there because the more we get our word out there and the more we get our stories out there, you know what? People are going to start recognizing it and going, wait a minute. You know, I heard that 16 times already. That might be true. Mm -hmm. I've been speaking here with Kimberly Dvorak. Uh, She's an independent investigative journalist. Do you have a website? Yes. Um, You can go to uh, thekdreport.com. And you can find some of my stuff on Benghazi, on Fast and Furious, Afghanistan, I mean, <laughs> drones I've covered. And all of my stories on Michael Hastings are up on thekdreport.com, all lowercase. Awesome. And be sure to watch San Diego 6, The CW. Kimberly, thank you again for joining the program. Thank you for having me. Good luck out there. And that was San Diego 6 investigative journalist. Kimberly Dvorak, if you missed any part of the episode, the podcast will be up tomorrow on iTunes. So search for Free Thought. Look for Free Thought AAC. You can do it now. Just click subscribe. It's all free. And or listen to the LRN.fm weekly podcast loop. Uh, uh, it could play any time during the week. Um, so I posted a, an audience question on the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Freethought Radio. I asked, Hastings death, accident. Or intentional. I want to gauge your perceptions without judgment, such as the false derogatory term uh, used on people that is being the term conspiracy theorist. Uh, Mike Pastor says uh, that there is minimal damage to the palm tree hit. You would think there would be more damage considering the official story of an 80 mile per hour collision. Anarcho capitalist says, was he really cremated against his family wishes? Um, which I answered, of course, what we just covered it. We're not sure because the interview was pre-taped, of course, but in the interview mentioned that uh, there, there are conflicting stories about the consent of the cremation, but it was he was cremated. Um, he also, anarcho-capitalist also asked, did he express anyone his fears? Yes, he went next door to a neighbor like the day before, actually con- expressing concern about the his car. Um and they're saying toxicology report, you know, that he had marijuana in his system. Please, marijuana makes you a safer driver. If it was alcohol, yeah. And it was amphetamines, not methamphetamines. So maybe a prescription uh, thing, you know. It's just like when the media tries to say that Bradley Manning's a sick person because he's a transgender. Or sorry, should I say tra- Chelsea Manning? No, being a trans- transgender is A-OK. And so is smoking cannabis. And if he had a prescription, that's okay to not necessarily correlating with crashing. In fact, amphetamines and cannabis would probably be the least, you know, impairing substances. Alcohol, definitely. Alcohol is the most impairing substance. But yeah. And and then uh, lastly, uh, Mike Rothschild says accidental. None of the conspiracy theories stand up to scrutiny, and nothing I've seen is more plausible than, quote, guy was driving too, way too fast and hit a tree, end quote, from, he, and he, he writes for Skeptoid.com. I was talking to people, and a lot of people that I speak to are saying that this is starting to look less and less like an accident, and, you know, I, I, didn't want, I don't want to ever jump to conclusions on everything without knowing anything first, but as it builds up, it's just, it's just like more and more, wow. Um, and either way, the, the institution of journalism is deterior, deteriorating. I mean, Feinstein's bill would literally give them authority to put a drone on Julian Assange or me 
or anybody that you know isn't and isn't shining the the state's shoes via the corporate media. Uh, that's who are the only people that are going to be protected. You know, it's so eerie that that's that that S nine eighty seven bill is coming at the same time as a Time magazine journalist, or I wouldn't even call him a journalist, phony excuse for a human being. He said that he wanted to see uh, Julian Assange's drone and that he would celebrate that. What kind of journalist is that? I mean, w when you go and you advocate for the death of another person, I mean, that's just a sick human being. I mean, it just goes to show how much these people shill for the state. And when you shill for the state, you know, the state's a bunch of murderers, you know, uh, given what's going on in Syria uh, w with backing these dangerous rebels. You know, maybe you become a little bit of a bloodthirsty warmonger yourself uh, <laughs> advocating for drones. Yeah, it, it is It is so crazy. So I want to play two songs that have to do with this. Um, this first one is called The Fourth Branch by Immortal Technique and has everything to do with the fourth estate that needs to be restored. And then after that, we'll come back. We'll talk about Syria and before the next hour where I have Medea Benjamin of Code Pink to talk about drones. We did the interview outside of General Atomics uh, pre-taped, uh, but it, was a, it, it, it added to the energy. So this is The Fourth Branch by Immortal Technique on KKSM AM 1320, The Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, The Liberty Radio Network, freethoughtmedia.org. For those who hide behind the false image of the Son of Man shall stand before God, 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 It has begun the beginning of the end. Yeah. Voice of racism preaching the gospel is devilish. A fake church called the prophet Muhammad a terrorist. Forgetting God is not religion, but a spiritual bond. And Jesus is the most quoted prophet in the Quran. They bombed innocent people trying to murder Saddam. When you gave them those chemical weapons to go to war with Iran. This is the information that they hold back from Peter Jennings. Because Condoleezza Rice is just a new age Sally Hemings. I break it down with critical language and spiritual anguish. The Judas are hanged the guilt of betraying Christ who murdered him, stole his religion and painted him white, translated in psychologically tainted philosophy conservative political right wing ideology, glued together sloppily, the blasphemy of a nation, got my back to the wall cause I'm facing assassination Guantanamo Bay, federal incarceration, how could this be the land of the free, home of the brave indigenous holocaust and the home of the slaves, corporate America dancing offbeat to the them. You really think this country never sponsored terrorism? Human rights violations, we continue the saga. El Salvador and the Contras and Nicaragua. And on top of that, you still want to take me to prison. Just because I won't trade humanity for patriotism. It's like MK Ultra controlling your brain. Suggestive thinking, causing your perspective to change. They want to rearrange the whole point of view of the ghetto. The fourth branch of the government want us to settle a bandana full of glittering generality fighting for freedom and fighting terror but what's reality read about the history of the place that we live in and stop letting corporate news tell lies to your children flow like the blood of abraham through the jews and the arabs broken apart like a woman's heart abused in the marriage the brink of holy war 
bottled up like a miscarriage Embedded correspondence don't tell the source of the tension And they refuse to even mention European intervention All the massacres in Janine, the innocent screams US manufactured missiles and M16s Weapon contracts and corrupted American dreams Media censorship blocking out the video screens A continent of oil kingdoms bought for a bargain Democracy is just a word when the people are starving The average citizen made to be blind to the reason A desert full of genocide where the bodies are freezing And the world doesn't believe that you're fighting for freedom Cause you f***ed the Middle East and gave birth to a demon It's open season with the CIA bugging my crib Trapped in a ghetto region like a Palestinian kid Where nobody gives a f*** whether you die or you live I'm trying to give the truth And I know the price is my life But when I'm gone They'll sing a song about immortal technique Who beheaded the president And the princes and sheiks You don't give a f*** about us I can see through your facade Like a fallen angel standing in the presence of God Scared of the truth when it looks at you hard It's like MK Ultra controlling your brain Suggestive thinking causing your perspective to change They want to rearrange the whole point of view in the ghetto The fourth branch of the government want us to settle A bandana full of glittering generality Fighting for freedom and fighting terror But what's reality? Martial law is coming soon to the hood to kill you While you hanging your flag out your project window fourth branch of the government, aka the media, seems to now have a retirement plan for ex-military officials, as if their opinion was at all unbiased. A machine shouldn't speak for men, so shut the f*** up, you mindless drone. And you know it's serious when these same media outfits are spending millions of dollars on a PR campaign to try to convince you they're fair and balanced when they're some of the most ignorant and racist people giving that type of mentality a safe haven. We act like we share in the spoils of war that they do. We die in wars. We don't get the contracts to make money off them afterwards. We don't get weapons contracts. We don't get cheap labor for our companies. We are cheap labor. Turn off the news and read. Read. KKSM AM 1320 Oceanside, com. Since time began, tyrants have taken aim at personal liberties. Now there's a movie that aims back. The government has no more right to tell us what to put in our bodies than they have to take our guns or tell us what books we can read. I wonder how prohibitionists would feel if they saw medical marijuana vastly improve the life of someone dear to them. Today, many cops who enforce pot laws do so only because it provides them with cushy jobs, good benefits, and a chance to push people around. I was an undercover narcotics officer. The drug war is nothing but a farce. Six drug police were eaten by bears while raiding a marijuana farm. On your knees, you dirty hippies! Jesus. On your knees! What's the problem, officer? The Second Amendment says you gotta keep you and your gat intact. Guns and Weed, The Road to Freedom. A film by Michael W. Dean and Nima Vidati. Available from GunsAndWeed.com. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. 
a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. You're listening to KKSM AM 1320, Oceanside. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio, freethoughtmedia.org and facebook.com slash freethoughtradio live every Monday from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on KKSM Oceanside AM 1320, Cox Cable Channel 957, The Radio Revolution, and podcasting at the Liberty Radio Network in Keene, New Hampshire, LRN.FM and Facebook.LRN.FM, Facebook.com slash KKSM Radio. And in the last hour, my guest was Kim Dvorak. She is an investigative journalist with San Diego Channel 6, the CW, and she has been investigating the death of Rolling Stone journalist Michael Hastings. So if you missed any part of the episode, podcast, again, will be up tomorrow uh, at... at uh, iTunes, if you search for Free Thought and look for Free Thought AAC. Uh, also, if you head over to freethoughtmedia.org, there's there's two things. You got the radio button, and then you got Free Thought TV, which is the YouTube channel. Uh, so it's a burgeoning YouTube channel. Check out like a ton ton of cool videos, interviews, and and videos of protests and everything. But the video uh, interview will be up tomorrow for both uh, my guest Kim Dvorak and my guest in, in this hour, which is a Medea Benjamin of Code Pink and. and before uh, I play the interview with Medea that we did outside of the General Atomics drone manufacturer facility in San Diego uh, off of Scripps Poway Parkway Road where there's a protest every Thursday uh, around 3 or 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., the Syria thing, there are now leaked documents thanks to a website, stormcloudsgathering.com, and he does YouTube videos, so I will play the audio from that video later on in the show. So please stay tuned, because the U.S. government has framed the Syrian government for chemical weapons when it is the U.S. government that gave it to either Saudi Arabia or to the rebels themselves. And the rebels are all fighters belonging to Al Qaeda. Remember Libya? You know the the you know how 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 many people said in Libya? Oh, because we're lobbing cruise missiles from ships that are not on actual Libyan soil that were technically not in a war because we don't actually have boots on the ground. We just have cruise missiles lobbing at at Libya. That's still a war. Whoever made that argument, uh, I gotta say, uh, is living on uh, on Mars. Uh, that's still a war. Regardless, non intervention should be the policy of the United States government. That was an intervention. Intervention is always bad, even if you do it from sea rather than actually putting boots on the ground. And what do we do? There was no rebellion in Libya. Gaddafi was trying to introduce a gold dollar to unpeg the U.S. dollar from being priced in oil, which would, you know, get rid of it being the world's reserve currency and cause the dollar to collapse. And, you know, and it's going to anyways, regardless of of whether someone says yeah, I'm not going to be a slave to the dollar system uh, and and have the U.S. military come in and and, uh, and take over oil fields to price it in dollars. Uh, so the U.S. government uh, shipped all these al-Qaeda, uh, ex-al-Qaeda militants from Iraq and flew them over to Libya to go fight against Gaddafi. You hear Gaddafi talk and he says, you know, those are not my people that are fighting me. Those are all al-Qaeda. Those are all people from the outside. They never lived in Libya before. Uh, so the, the people were on the side of Gaddafi. These uh, 
invaders were on the side uh, of the United States government. They were Al-Qaeda was on the side of the United States government. And now that same thing's happening again. They took some Libya leftovers, uh, Al-Qaeda Libya leftovers, and shipped them over to Syria and called them the Free Syrian Army or the Al-Nusra Front and gave them chemical weapons to plant on Assad. But these extremist people are all, you know, extreme Islamists who don't represent the Muslim world, who are all following this Saudi-exported Wahhabism strain, which is largely created by the U.S. since uh, Saudi Arabia is an illegitimate regime created by the U.S. out of nothing, just like Israel. Uh, and uh, so, you know, Israel actually, like, trained Taliban fighters. Israel works alongside these Al-Qaeda fighters. Israel, you know, claiming that everybody is an anti-Semitic existential threat to them is a bunch of bull honky. They're fighting alongside these extremist Islamists for their own goals to, to destabilize the region and take out and, you know, protect their land and their and have an ally allegiance with Saudi Arabia. They may be the only two countries left in, the, in that region if the U.S. has their way of toppling all these other regimes. It may just be down to Israel and Saudi Arabia and then they'll be, you know, friends forever in the corrupt oil fields where they murder innocent people I don't subscribe to their agendas uh, but so we did we're doing that in Syria we have these al-qaeda fighters that the US government is supporting we're giving them weapons they're uh, giving them guns and and CIA training so uh, all the people are trying to make an excuse for Obama saying that we had warships in the sea with Libya that were not actually at, at war uh, you know, they're they're saying, oh, because we don't have boots on the ground that we're not at war with Syria. Well, we have boots on the ground. They're from the CIA, and they're training these extremist rebels that we're sending money over. I, I would count sending money and CIA people and weapons. I would count that as a war already. But, you know, I, the U.S. is a little lucky that Assad is is waiting for actual invasion to, to call the shot to actually defend themselves. They're not, they never had nothing to do with 9-11. They never pose any threat to us. This all has to do with the dollar's dominance as the world reserve currency. So the, the United States, the Syria and Iran are the last two countries in that region without a, uh, a central bank uh, associated with the Federal Reserve or the World Bank or the IMF. That's what this is all about. It's about the dollar. It's about money. It's about oil. And it's about, you know, Israel and Saudi Arabia's sick ideologies um, including uh, including the U.S.'s sick ideology of nationalism and and this you know uh, fundamentalist Christianity and of course worship of the dollar. Um, so what what's going on in Syria right now is very dark. And you know what? I, have, I actually have something positive to say now. I actually have something positive to report. Only like less than nine percent of American people support an intervention with Syria. That is so very heartening. That brightened up my day, showing that people are not buying this president, that they are seeing that Obama is basically Donald Rumsfeld, the wolf in sheep's clothing, and, and that he's a, pursuing the neocon Wolfowitz agenda. You know, I'll play the video from stormcloudsgathering.com. They had a, they, before they even invaded Iraq, they had a list of seven countries that they wanted to invade within five years. Isn't Obama exacting that? Isn't Obama just doing the bidding of Donald Rumsfeld? You know, you hear all these conservatives on the right, you know, yelling at Obama, saying, I'm yelling at Obama because I think he's a Republican. And he's waging war. He's This doesn't need to happen. There doesn't need to be Al-Qaeda fighters in Syria fighting the people there that are living in peace, Christians, Jews, and Muslims living in peace. Now the U.S. is funding these crazy Al-Qaeda fighters because we want to maintain the world's reserve currency of the Federal Reserve note, U.S. dollar. That's what this is all about. That's ugly. That is just like, you know, we call ourselves a civilized nation when we lob bombs on people. 
for the big banksters? You know, what, what kind of civilized nation are we? And, you know, the only reason these guys are uh, in the Middle East uh, resemble somewhat uncivilized because we bond them into poverty and decimation. That's the only reason. Otherwise, they'd be burgeoning and, and flourishing, just like Palestine was before Israel took it over. That, that's exactly what we're, do, we're doing in Syria. We're just creating something that do, didn't need to happen in the first place. Just get the hell out. Don't support these dangerous rebels. We don't need to intervene in Syria. It ain't none of our business. We don't have a right to topple dictators. And now Obama wants to go in and, and literally you know, go over Congress's head, do it because NATO tells them to do it. You know, NATO, UK... Uh, Israel, uh, France, all these, you know, oligarchic regimes that uh, are, are claim to be liberal because they're from Europe, but they're really neoconservative uh, warmongers, uh, neocolonialists, and, and now we're doing the same in Syria. So I hope we, that we don't have a war in Syria. But again, this is a frame job with the chemical weapons. U.S. or Saudi Arabia, or perhaps even Israel, gave chemical weapons to the so-called free Syrian army and now the the free Syrian army attempted to frame it on Assad but Syrian army being or free Syrian uh, army the rebellion groups or the Al-Nusra front the whatever rebellion groups in Syria that are fighting against the Assad government they couldn't you know since they were like a bunch of extremist nutcases they used it on people of Syria but then Obama comes out and says no it was the Syrian government that did that no bullcrap it was the Syrian rebels that this government is supporting. And I'm not going to yell out Obama because, you know, I'm just some reactionary Republican. I'm yelling at Obama because I see that right through his crap that he's a Republican. And, you know, drop the labels. You know, warmongering is warmongering. This is exactly just the continuation of Bush and Rumsfeld and Cheney's sick domination plan of the Middle East. That has been, you know, in work since the 70s and maybe even going back to the 50s with the coup of Iran and back in, you know, to the 40s when we instigated the state of Israel and whenever uh, the U.S. formed the state of Saudi Arabia. But we're also killing children with drones in other countries, so that's why I want to, uh, you know, take a break from talking about Syria and get to my guest from this hour, which is Medea Benjamin, uh, co-founder of Code Pink, this interview conducted live outside of the General Atomics HQ in San Diego. Freethoughtmedia.org, I'm joined now by Medea Benjamin of Code Pink and... And from Women Occupy, and this is the one-year anniversary of the Drone Diego protests uh, that Veterans for Peace has been putting on um, for a long time now, for a year. And it's to bring awareness about drones here, right here at General Atomics in San Diego, the manufacturer of the drones. So, Medea and Anne, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks. So, talk a bit about uh, how Code Pink was formed and uh, why this ties into what is going on with the drones in relation to innocent people being killed? Code Pink formed after 9-11 to, to find a response that wouldn't result in the death of more innocent people. And here we are, over 11 years later, standing in front of General Atomics, and we see the evolution of the wars from Iraq and Afghanistan, where uh, the U.S. government sent hundreds of thousands of people Americans to fight there and thousands have been killed to now drone warfare where we keep our soldiers safe by having them fight wars from airport bases here in the United States and uh, meanwhile we're killing lots of both innocent people as well as low-level Taliban and Al-Qaeda who 
uh, before they were killed by us had no uh, intention of trying to kill Americans. And so with each drone strike, we're not only creating new enemies, but we're perpetuating war. So standing in front of here is kind of surreal because I just got back from Yemen and I was recently in Pakistan. And you just think that it's right here behind these gates that they're producing yeah. these weapons that are uh, violating the sovereignty of other nations, turning children into orphans and uh, wives into widows, and our government refusing to acknowledge that we're even doing it, much less apologize or compensate. Mm -hmm. So, and here people seem to have nice cars, they probably get good salaries. Uh, I think they've probably been convinced that they're doing something good for this country, that these drones are so precise they're just killing the, quote, bad guys. Yeah. But having been in the homes of people whose loved ones were killed by these drones, it makes me very sad. And it makes me very sad to think that this company thrives on death and war. And uh, it needs perpetual war just to keep the, the wheels turning yeah. here. So uh, it's very unfortunate that we have an economy that is so tied into this military-industrial complex that um, we have to do a lot to turn it around. Definitely. And, and on the subject of Pakistan and Yemen, we have President Obama promising to have a timetable for Pakistan, yet sending, like, I heard it was four more drones to Yemen. What's the hypocrisy in that? And uh, is a timetable time too little, too late? Shouldn't they have brought all the drones home yesterday? Well, first of all, they're not bringing the drones home. Yeah. And the more they, uh, they can talk about it all they want. In fact, if you look at when President Obama did his May 23rd foreign policy speech, where I, I happened to be in the audience, awesome. uh, he, uh, <laughs> he said, oh, you know, we're going to be so careful. We're only going to use these drones when it's a near certainty <laughs> that no civilians will get killed. Then right after that, there's a drone strike that kills a 10-year-old and certainly not acknowledged by the United States. And in the last two weeks, there have been nine drone strikes in Yemen, and people are freaking out in Yemen because they just see this as uh, the U.S. trying to stir up uh, al-Qaeda and stir up problems and uh, make things more difficult for people on the ground. And I was in the home of uh, a young girl who told me that her three brothers had joined al-Qaeda. They didn't join al-Qaeda because they hated the U.S. It had nothing to do with the United States. They joined al-Qaeda because they hated their own government, and their government was abusing them. And uh, you see how the U.S. comes in and internationalizes internal conflicts. Yep. And uh, when you get down to it, it really is because there's lobby groups for these companies. And the lobby group is having its convention right now in Washington, D.C. In fact, we were outside there yesterday protesting. And um, there were thousands of people there, and they're all talking about how these drones are going to oh, save endangered species and how they're going to help uh, get your grandfather with Alzheimer's who was wandering around and nobody could find him, or they're going to help us uh, predict the weather better. And they're hiding behind the cloak of humanitarian work. Well, the, what's the driving force in this industry is where the money is. Where's the money? The money's with the military. It's our tax dollars. So whether it's here or in Washington, D.C. at the convention center 
or in the halls of Congress or outside the White House, uh, we've got to confront this uh, machine that keeps the wheels turning for war. And I think people here should know that they have become the best recruiting tool for al-Qaeda and that they are really a national security risk. We should put caution tape across here to say, watch out, uh, terrorists working inside. That's a really good idea. And, and you, hit, you hit the nail on the head in regards to Yemen and, and it's a rebellion against their own government because if the U.S. does a drone strike, then the Yemeni government tries to take the blame for it to take the heat off us. One instance, it wasn't a drone strike, but it was a, it was a cruise missile of some sort, uh, hit, hit a small tribe, killed a bunch of children, and, and uh, left only like a mother and a child. And a journalist that exposed that there were U.S.-labeled canisters in there got put in jail. He was, about, he was slated to get released, but then President Obama made a personal phone call himself directly to the Yemeni president, demanding that he be kept in jail. What do you make of those types of situations and the Yemeni government's complicity in uh, allowing us to violate their own people? Well, it's disgusting, but then look at uh, you know what the U.S. government is doing to poor Bradley Manning yeah. right now, who <laughs> exposed the truth. Or look at what our government's trying to do, the witch hunt against Edward Snowden for exposing yeah. the truth. So, yeah, journalists in, in Yemen getting thrown in jail is uh, kind of the flip side of what we're doing here to uh, people who are speaking the truth. And uh, you were actually at the Bradley Manning trial yesterday. What do you make of his prospects, um, given the, the sentencing, the subject matter of... Uh, why, why do you think he apologized? Do you think it was because of uh, pressure that, uh, or something? Um, uh, what's, what's your take on the situation? It was so sad to see Bradley Manning getting up and apologizing. You know... Uh, you could tell that this was his last-ditch effort to uh, appeal for his life. I mean, he's a, a young man who's facing the rest of his life behind bars. So anything he could do right now to try to get leniency from the judge, his lawyers are telling him to do. But it wasn't a pretty sight. And I think we heard the real Bradley Manning when he testified uh, several weeks ago and told how he did this because of the kinds of horrible things that he'd been seeing on the ground. And uh, I think we should remember the other words of Bradley Manning and not the words he said yesterday where he said he apologized for hurting this country. He didn't hurt this country. Uh, our government's been hurting this country, whether it's George Bush or Barack Obama um, or the horrible Congress that we have. You know, they're the ones that are hurting our country. And um, instead of apologizing, we should be the ones apologizing to Bradley Manning for putting him behind bars. Indeed. And what do you make of uh, his, uh, his efforts in general as part of this uh, kind of uh, push towards open information, whether it's Edward Snowden um, pushing for open information on spying or Bradley Manning for war crimes, uh, other people in general um, that expose things about this uh, CIA in general, that there's a crackdown. Um, uh, what do you make of the war on whistleblowers, um, whether it's for you know killing people or, or just abusing people's civil liberties? Uh, I don't think I ever thought that the Obama administration would be the administration with the greatest crackdown on whistleblowers. 
and it's such a sad reflection on what has happened to our country and the shift rightward of the whole political system. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's a, also a sad reflection that we aren't rising up against it, that, that yeah. there are few of us that are rising up. You know, when Edward Snowden said uh, he did not so much fear what the government would do to him, he feared that things wouldn't change. Mm -hmm. And that was a direct call out to us to say, get out there, do something. Mm -hmm. And we really got to do it. I mean, there are so many things that I look at, the prisoners in Guantanamo who are saying to us, please, remember us, 11 years, we're starving ourselves, we're getting force-fed, we're being abused every single day. During Ramadan, even, During the holiday. Ramadan, do something. And there are small numbers of us, but what has happened to the morale of the American people? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist by, uh, I think, necessity, because you have to be an optimist if you're going to keep getting up and keep doing this work. And I hope that all of this is sowing the seeds for some real change in this country. But it certainly is not going to come from the Democratic Party, Republican Party. What I do see very positive, though, is how much uh, people are kind of giving up those party labels as well as the left-right labels, how libertarians are coming together with independents and greens and uh, and there's a lot of things around the uh, privacy issues that we're doing together and I think that's building a, a, a new core group that is standing up to the big brother police state and exactly. hopefully that can start gelling and spreading and spreading into other issues as well. Definitely. Uh, for those just listening, I'm here with Medea Benjamin, founder of Code Pink, uh, Women for Peace. Uh, as a final question, uh, talk a bit about your experience interrupting uh, President Obama's uh, speech regarding reforms, so-called reforms for Guantanamo, uh, so-called reforms for drones and, and everything else, and, uh, and how you really valiantly stood for many other people who would like to stay, say the same stuff to his face that you uh, courageously did and what you make of his reactions to uh, your interruptions. Well, it's not every day you get to talk directly to the president exactly. <laughs> in a public forum like that, because sometimes, you know, you could pay your $20,000 and get to <laughs> shake his hand, maybe. Um, but so it was, a, it was a pretty amazing occasion, and I wasn't sure what to do, because, you know, there's still a lot of support for the president among people of color in this country, among a lot of people who call themselves progressives. And uh, so I had these voices going on in my head the whole time, you know, get up and say something, don't get up and say something, get up and say something, don't get up and say something, you know. And, but I was listening really carefully. And there was one thing he said, there were two things he said that really got to me. One is he said that his policy is to try to capture people and using drones as a last resort. And I just come back from Yemen, that's such a lie. It's such a bald-faced lie. They don't try to capture it all. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we've talked to people where there were like 20 checkpoints along the way where they could have captured people at any one of those. And instead of capturing them, they just prefer to kill them. And the other thing is when he got to Guantanamo and he started saying, I want to close Guantanamo, but that Congress, you know, they won't let me. And it was like, all right, this is the last straw. You know, i got to get up and say something. Because we had just been working with families from Guantanamo. I'd met them in London, I'd met them in Yemen, I'd met them in, in, in a number, and in, in I'd just been in Dubai, I met people there. And they're desperate, you know. And they know that President Obama has the total uh, authority to release 
those prisoners who've been cleared for release. It's true he can't close the whole thing right now, but he could release the 86 prisoners, and that would be a huge uh, morale booster for all the people, and yet he refuses to do that. So so that's why I I decided to get up and say something, and I think the fact that he... um, acknowledged and said this is a voice worth listening to was a positive thing um, because he could have easily said oh, oh you know these fringe crazy people don't pay it to any attention or not said anything just totally ignored which is you know what they often do and so that was good and I think it gave my voice a little more legitimacy but you know he said that it haunts him um, the civilians that we've killed and good. <laughs> uh, yeah and you wish, and you wish it would haunt him so much that he would stop. And yeah. I thought, and I do think we're making progress on the drone front because they have been using less drones. But then all of a sudden, when you think we're making progress, then they turn on the drones again. And there's been so many in Yemen in just the last two weeks. And so you just got to think, you know, is this some coordinated effort when people are finally rising up with Edward Snowden and the NSA and saying, you know, we don't want to live in a police state. And we got Congress to almost pass a piece of legislation. And then all of a sudden there's chatter, chatter, chatter. We hear chatter. They're about to do something to us, send in the drones. And now we're kind of back to square one. So I don't know. I mean, I think we are having an impact, and I think it's good to speak out wherever we can. And um, being out here in front of General Atomics is really one of the things that we can do. Definitely. And where can people find find Code Pink online and in social media? CodePink.org. Awesome. Well, I've been speaking with Medea Benjamin, co-founder of Code Pink, Women for Peace. Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, thank you, Medea, for joining the program again. Okay. All right. No drones. I want a girl like Madea, yeah. Tall, slender, brown eyes with that jet black hair. I want a girl like Madea, yeah. Tall, slender, brown eyes with that jet black hair. I want a girl like Madea, yeah. Tall, slender, brown eyes with that jet black hair. <laughs> That's uh, My Dear by Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> but my guess, my guess was just uh, Madea Benjamin of Code Pink, Women for Peace. Medea is now the second person that I have interviewed that has confronted President Obama face-to-face. The first one being uh, journalist Ben Swan. If you missed any part of the episode, podcast will be up tomorrow at uh, iTunes. If you search for Free Thought and look for Free Thought AAC, that's where it is at. Uh, I forgot to touch up on the subject of Israel and Palestine with with, uh, Medea because I know uh, Code Pink is very much for uh, free Palestine, and I know there's a lot of bad things going on there now. Like the uh, the Palest- so-called you know Palestinian Liberation Organization, uh, the PLO, it doesn't even represent the Palestinian people anymore. Uh, so basically, you know, they have soft leaders that are just they're basically selling out their own Palestinian people. So the Palestinian people don't have any representation. So Israel's just getting basically what they want. And that's so very unfortunate. And that's what I wanted to say about Israel and Palestine. That's all there is to say is that, you know, Israel's just going to get what they want, more aggression, more neocolonialism, rather than give back the land or write a return to the people that they stole it from. Uh, You know, no violence needs to happen. uh, uh, You know, and nobody needs to get, nobody else needs to get kicked out. But, uh, you know, it can be returned to where everybody lives in peace together. 
under a one secular democratic state where everybody has equal rights rather than a racist nationalist apartheid where only white Jews get all rights. And, you know, then there's uh, Ethiopian Jews that are black, they get less, and then actually get forced sterilized at point of entry. And there's a declining birth rate. And then, and then you got, you know, Palestinian Christians, Palestinian uh, uh, Muslims, all different kinds, even uh, anti-Zionist Jews are getting uh, subject to police brutality, people who don't want to join the IDF because they don't want to commit atrocities, uh, Jews who don't want to join the IDF to commit atrocities because they don't like the Zionist state, uh, they get thrown in jail. So, you know, they don't, Israel doesn't even have a consensus among Jews. What the hell are they, who the hell are they serving uh, themselves and maybe like a white racist apartheid? Uh <laughs> you know, a, a sick agenda to kill people for land. Um, but that is why uh, I am anti-war, and that's why next week on the show I'm having an antiwar.com special telethon fundraiser. Uh, if you're a fan of the website antiwar.com like I am, uh, you would know that uh, ever since that has been revealed that the FBI has been following one of their journalists, um, that... There, a lot of their donors have dropped off because they're afraid that the FBI will follow them too. So I'm going to help stick it to the FBI by uh, grassrootsly raising funds for antiwar.com uh, by having antiwar.com contributors Angela Keaton and Nick Hancock, as well as Occidental, Occidental College professor and author of The Renegade History of the United States, Professor Thaddeus Russell, a total badass. He's been on John Stossel so many times. I've been a fan of his for a while. It's going to be awesome to have him on the show. Uh, some, somebody I look forward to to having on. And um, so they're all going to be here to talk about antiwar.com while you all call in or go on antiwar.com slash donate to donate. But that's next week, Monday, September 2nd. So I want to play a little audio promo for that. This is called You've heard the War Party, which is both the Republican and Democratic parties. Now hear antiwar.com. So at the beginning, you hear Obama and like Gingrich towing the you know the war line uh, and, and supporting despotic regimes that they support, while saying that we need to support democracy and get rid of these dictators that are bad for democracy. Yet they support all these dictators. Uh, you'll hear for yourself their hypocrisy, and then after that, you'll hear a bunch of antiwar.com contributors. Uh, so this is a promo for next week's antiwar.com. Fundraiser Telethon. Taking the fight to Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and Pakistan. This is a war we have to win. We need more troops, more helicopters, more satellites, more predator drones. Defense cuts that I believe would do real damage to our security. We have a situation now to bring justice on a terrorist who has killed Americans. Free speech is a great idea, but we're in a war. Maximum covert operations. Uh, to block and disrupt the Iranian program. Never point a gun at somebody unless you're well, ready to pull a trigger. Bahrain is a long-standing partner, and we are committed to its security. The death of Al-Aki is a tribute to our intelligence community and to the efforts of Yemen and its security forces who have worked closely with the United States. President Obama has ordered American forces into another war zone, Central Africa. More than 2,000 American troops are heading to Australia. It's about asserting our own position as a Pacific power. If you're an American citizen and you betray your country, you're going to be held in military custody. You're not going to be given a lawyer. There is no bar 
to this nation's holding one of its own citizens as an enemy combatant. And this deal was rejected by the Bush administration, but nonetheless it was approved more recently by the Obama administration, who went on to win, of course, the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, he's the worst warmonger of all. He's doubled down on uh, every one of Bush's bad moves. Almost 170 children have been killed by, by these drone attacks. We are sending out our mechanized killer drones uh, in Somalia. We've been bombing Yemen. In fact, Amnesty International uh, showed the cluster bomb units and still duds laying on the ground waiting to kill more innocent people. This is just one report in a field of many describing uh, such profligate waste uh, in the American empire. We backed the dictatorship in Tunisia and in Egypt and in Yemen and in Bahrain, but somehow our government is on the side of the people in Libya. I think they've already gone well beyond the UN mandate of establishing a no-fly zone and they're already uh, moving into an inexorable march toward regime change. We have yet to see a humanitarian intervention that doesn't cause death. During the Bush administration and into the Obama administration, the United States has been waging a covert war of cyber terrorism, commercial sabotage, and targeted assassinations of Iranian nuclear scientists. There's a name for that, it's called international terrorism. Despite the media reports that are pro-war, despite the saber-rattling by politicians, all 16 American intelligence agencies agreed back in 2007 that the Iranians aren't making nuclear weapons, but the U.S. is running their own brutal war in Afghanistan. Colonialism occupation creates terrorism. You know what? This has all the ingredients of a prolonged military quagmire. The government has already assumed that they have the power to detain U.S. citizens indefinitely without trial. We've become so warlike and so obsessed with nationalism and with our military that we can't actually see what is good for our country. And what is good for our country is peace and prosperity, not an empire. And please tune in next week when I have antiwar.com contributors, Angel Keaton and Nick Hancock, and uh, Occidental College professor Thaddeus Russell. They're going to be uh, uh, doing an interview on the program. And we're going to discuss what antiwar.com is all about. Uh, and uh, just to encourage people to donate to antiwar.com to help recover from the chilling effect of the FBI's war on journalism. So I want to play two songs that play wonderfully into this subject. That This is War Party by Guar, and then after that, Endless War by Realm. Here on KKSM, the Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network, free.media.org. Yeah. 
KKSM. You may listen whether you've abandoned hope or not. The Radio Revolution. Free and Equal Elections presents United We Stand Festival. Revolutionary music performances by Public Enemy. The Siren. The resistance. The re- Golden State. Dartiana Moore Rose. I don't want a police state. I just want love and liberty. And more. Mind-blowing guest speakers like Jesse Venture. We were deceived and lied to about these events for political purposes or whatever it might be. Our media today is into creating the news rather than reporting it. And that's very dangerous. Whenever government says they're going to keep you safe, get ready because you're going to lose your freedoms. Abby Martin. Look around. For as long as I can remember, this country has been at war perpetual war against an invisible enemy. There are nationalistic rituals held to celebrate an authoritarian government, one that you can't question without being labeled anti-American or a traitor. And it's up to you, me, and the freedom of our minds to prevent it. And the lion. The U.S. government doesn't want the U.S. media to report negatively. We need to really step forward and focus on the elephant in the room here, and that's the propaganda and and sometimes lies that the American public is um, they're they're being lied to. Peter Joseph. It's going to take a new approach, a parallel uprising of power to shift the tide. And whether we're aware of it or not, this is happening slowly right now around us in the world. And the question is. Where are you in this interest? Jill's time. One third of Americans are now living in or near the poverty level. That so many are in poverty while the wealthy few are richer than ever makes it clearer than ever that it's time for real change. Gary Johnson. We would end the Federal Reserve if given the chance, but that's Congress giving me the chance to end the Federal Reserve. Stop printing money. What we need to do is bring about full transparency to the Federal Reserve, which ending the Federal Reserve brings about, because we're on the verge of a monetary collapse. Ben Swan. The creation of Al-Qaeda wasn't Islamic fundamentalism, it was the CIA. Why are we giving Al-Qaeda fighters money and weapons to overthrow yet another government in the Middle East? Today, our government claims they're freeing the people of Syria. Tomorrow, if history tells us anything, we will be killing and wounding civilians in airstrikes and then referring to them as collateral damage in a war with an enemy who we brought to power. 
Christina Tobin. But if you go back to the origins of the Constitution, uh, you'll see there's no mention of corporations, no mention of parties. What I'm learning here at Free and Equal Elections is that parties really don't work. I do foresee a huge movement of independent, the youth out there, 1828, everybody running for office. so much bigger than the, the presidential election, those state, federal, congressional, and at Free and Equal Elections, we're going to unite those people across the spectrum. Also confirmed, Dan Johnson, Sabrina Fendrick, Josh Tully, Elizabeth Zero, Mason Allison, Richard Mack, Dr. Warren, Tyrell Venture, Amelia Robinson, Brittany Logan, Bryant Moore, Cindy Sheehan, Kimberly and Foster Gamble, Sean Stone, Jessica Cohn, Lee Camp, Justin Weeds, Freddie Say, and more. United We Stand Festival, October 12, 2013, University of California, Los Angeles, www.unitedwestandfest.com. See why the government's cracking down. Introducing the two drugs that are illegal, alcohol and cigarettes, two drugs that do nothing for you whatsoever. And drugs that grow naturally upon this planet. Drugs that open your eyes up to make you realize how you're being f***ed every day of your life. Those drugs are against love. <laughs> Free Thought Radio, waking you up to the fact that you're being screwed by the system every day of your life since 2010. Only on KKSM AM 1320, the radio revolution, and LRN.FM, the radio network, media.org. Welcome back, guys. Hope you like that little liner. <laughs> um, so it is time for the news. About time. If you uh, find yourself caring more about Miley Cyrus, maybe you should visit Miley Cyrus twerking on reality.tumblr.com. She put, twerks next to headlines that you should actually care about. But in real news, the NSA, Obama is promising a civil liberties czar for the NSA, but that is literally Orwellian doublespeak like the Minister of Peace in 1984, where war is peace. Additionally, journalist Glenn Greenwald's partner David Miranda was detained at Heathrow Airport and the UK government legally justified it under their anti-terror legislation and they stole a lot of his electronic equipment maybe under the guise that he might have some NSA leaked documents. The UK is considering journalists, journalists who report on whistleblowers, to be terrorist journalists. What kind of arbitrary, you know, tyranny is that? Designating a journalist that you don't like? That's Richard Nixon style, designating them a terrorist. That's like Richard Nixon's enemies list. Of course, the civil liberties are as a farce, and so is the terrorist journalist term. The UK government and the US government are just trying to intimidate journalists from actually telling the truth. It is a sign of a tyrant to actually put a definition on journalism and only protect journalists that parrot the interests of those in power when real journalism speaks truth to power and uncloaks those in power. 
Now the UK government raided the offices of The Guardian, the publication that Glenn Greenwald writes for, where he leaked the NSA information through Edward Snowden. The Guardian had no choice other than to destroy their NSA data rather than hand it over to the UK government, which is good. I mean, that's the best they could do in that circumstance of, of thuggish tyrants. You know, these are clear signs of intimidation and aggression. Are we all the way back in 1775 where England is screwing over the liberty and a free press of the American people? You know, that's really, really sad. Additionally, Syria. Now, these Syrian rebels that are al-Qaeda linked, backed up by the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia. They have been attacking Christians, burning churches, uh, attacking Kurds, being massacred. You know, Christians, Jews, and Muslims have been living in peace in Syria, all of them are, are under scrutiny from these murderous rebels at the U.S. Uh, that are that are funded and backed by the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia, which are, I think is the real axis of evil. The U.S. covertly funds, aids, and gives weapons to Syrian rebels, which is bad enough in itself. President Obama, an apologist for Obama's warmongering foreign policy that tops George Bush's, that they were claiming that since the war in Libya wasn't actually fought on the ground, it was fought from naval ships lobbing cruise missiles that because of that, it wasn't technically a war. What kind of nonsense is that? Whatever that means, I don't, I don't even know what that means. How is it, you know, you could drop missiles from the sea, but that's not a war because you don't have boots on the ground. Totally logical. They also say that giving weapons to dangerous Syrian rebels and intervening in the internal affairs of other nations and treating, the, you know, Treating the world as a chess game, that's that's not worldly that's not war either, according to some people that support President Obama still. You know, that this is still intervention. Uh, I would consider any any intervention that causes death and changes the trajectory of a nation, I would consider that a war every time. Now the US is positioning cruise missiles to be able to attack Syria, so they're moving in to actually overtly military intervene in Syria rather than covertly through Israel or Saudi Arabia or these al-Qaeda-linked rebel groups. Now the Syria, now, since it's going to be from cruise missiles from naval ships, will people still not consider that a war too? Uh, I would, again, I would consider it a war as much as we all are already at war with Syria because the CIA covert operations to support the Syrian rebels. That's a war. Israel launching three airstrikes is an act of war. Israel initiated aggression, so it is no surprise that Lebanon had retaliated against their act of aggression. Now, the U.S. is giving $640 million worth of American-made carpet bombs to Saudi Arabia. And carpet bombs are illegal. Now, the Saudis are turning that over, giving that to the Syrian rebels. The Saudis are heavily arming the Syrian rebels. Likely, you know, with those carpet bombs. The Syrian rebels have also been caught with the sarin nerve gas, an obvious telltale sign that the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia are trying to frame Assad for chemical weapons. This is another lie, just like Iraq and WMDs. Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel is positioning those cruise missiles uh, and other forces in case Obama decides to attack Syria unilaterally, which is illegal. They have already been lining up forces along Turkey's border several months ago. And Israel had launched strikes using Turkey. Hegel says that this is not an attempt to topple the Assad regime. Yeah, right. But to send a message to stop using chemical weapons, which the Assad government has not. Again, there are no chemical weapons except for the ones the United States gave the rebels. 
just like Donald Rumsfeld gave Saddam anthrax. The media is lying to you about WMDs to sell you another war. Regime toppling is not in the Constitution, and it is not moral of the federal government either. But even if they are not trying to topple him, which they are, but if they weren't, this is still a preemptive war, which is illegal. The U.S. cannot lie about chemical weapons as a pretext for war. Are we going to let Obama get away with lying us into Libya, Syria, and next Iran, like we let Bush get away with Iraq? The Assad regime placed blame on the U.S.-funded al-Qaeda fighters calling themselves the rebels for that nerve gas. The Libyan rebellion didn't exist until the CIA transported ex-Al-Qaeda members from Iraq to Libya to fight Gaddafi. And now the U.S. is shipping the, all the Al-Qaeda in Libya to go fight in Syria. If that is not a war, I don't know what is. The U.S. government may be trying to frame Assad, and they are, given the sarin nerve gas was supplied to the rebels, most likely from Saudi Arabia. Now, CIA files actually prove that the U.S. gave Saddam and Iraq chemical weapons to fight against Iran. So it's on the U.S.'s resume. The U.S. may say that they don't actually have boots on the ground in Syria, but I count the CIA and I count monetary support. And now American commandos, likely CIA or other agencies, are working with Israeli and Jordanian commandos, training the extremist Syrian rebels on the ground. So American Israeli and Jordanian troops are in Syria with these Al-Qaeda rebels, training them. Why is Israel standing by Islamist extremists, just like Israel trained the Taliban in Pakistan? Investigative journalist Ben Swan confirms that the main Al-Qaeda-linked rebellion group that the U.S. supports, which is the Al-Nusra Front, has serin nerve gas, and leaked documents confirmed the U.S., through the rebellion groups, framed Assad by using the chemical weapons and then just, you know, through rhetoric. I mean, who's going to believe them? Why are people believing them? Well, the media is perpetuating those lies. That frame job. WikiLeaks leaked highly sensitive emails from Stratford, a defense contractor, and in the emails really delivers the motive of this war. So, aside from the motive of maintaining the dollar's dominance as the world's reserve currency, they also want this war as a stepping stone to go after Iran, Lebanon, and squeeze out the rest of occupied Palestine uh, to create a one Israeli state. Bradley Manning sentenced to 35 years comes out as Chelsea Manning. The only silver lining is the, the aiding the enemy charge being dropped. You know, everything else was just street screaming that we have no justice in this country. He had nothing to apologize for when he did. Unfortunately, I, I feel bad that he, that he felt compelled to uh, give that speech. But boldly, though, he says he is ready to pay the price for living in a free and just society and asks President Obama for a pardon. Given an Obama staffer told the late Michael Hastings, quote, F. Bradley Manning, end quote. Plus the aggressive prosecution of Manning by Obama, Hillary, and more, I have my doubts that he will get pardoned. F. Bradley Manning will likely be Hillary's 2016 for president bumper sticker slogan. At least I hope. Maybe I'll get one and put it on my car just to show people that, you know, she's a neocon puppet of the Council on Foreign Relations which uh, seeks to exact uh, world domination and, and, and uh, you know, is obviously very pro-Israel. And, and Bradley Manning coming out as transgender, I don't think that there's anything wrong, wrong with that. You know, the, the jingoistic, homophobic military 
uh, can come across and say, well, that just means he's mentally unstable. No, he is just fine the way he is. Uh, and I am glad to say that I am accepting Chelsea Manning. I will try to refer to him or her as Chelsea Manning. Um, and yeah. Political prisoner Adam Kokesh still in jail. Still no bail. Egypt and relations to foreign aid. Now, I would have to, unfortunately, I don't do this much, but I would have to agree with the Turkish prime minister that Israel was behind uh, the ousting of Morsi. However, I also realize that the Turkish PM is a Western puppet and always has a certain tinge of his reasoning where he tends to blame all the Jews of the world for the actions of Israel, which is not right. Only the Zionist war criminal psychopaths are to blame, and they're a finite group of individuals not collectively blaming people. Uh, and not blaming people for the way they were born, especially many uh, Jewish anti-Zionist families. Where is her dogging in mentioning that Morsi from Egypt himself was paid off by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, and the United States to be good to Israel? Morsi was paid off to be good to Israel. You know, that Israel is behind Morsi himself after he was paid off, and shouldn't puppet masters be able to change out puppets easily? So when Israel just throwing off Morsi is, is in name only. It was the same thing. Uh, I, I see the military and Morsi in the same level. And uh, the, I don't like that the, uh, as, as much as I may not like the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, uh, as may, may, much as I may think that Morsi detracted from the Muslim Brotherhood by taking the bribes from the U.S. and Israel and the International Monetary Fund, I don't think that they should be killed by the Egyptian military. I think that they should be able to participate in democracy. Uh, but unfortunately, Morsi sold out the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, uh, grassroots. Uh, but the people on top, obviously, uh, didn't care about that. It was, you know, the military was really in control of Egypt the whole time. And even with uh, Morsi in power, despite how much Morsi was bought out by Western and Israeli interests, now the top 10 corporations banking on the buying out of Morsi and now the buying out of the Egyptian military are Lockheed Martin, DRS Technologies, L3 Communication Ocean Systems, Deloitte Consulting, Boeing, Raytheon, Augusta Westland, U.S. Motor Works, Goodrich Corporation, and Columbia Group. And in state news, San Diego Bob Filner agrees to resign. And what I have to say about that is I, I don't. I am just as a, I am so appalled by the actions of Mayor Bob Filner. Uh, I I don't think that any of those were right. But at the same time, the people that are opportunizing on this political opportunity from both parties are not, uh, let's say, with the best of intentions. Uh, I, you know, as bad as Bob Filner's actions were, I, I, I don't making me not like him as a as a as a person. He still took a big stance on medical cannabis, jury nullification, and red light cameras. And none of these people, whether it's the Republicans or Democrats, they're not going to take up those issues. And those are important issues. And those are important issues that will lead to other important issues away from this corporatism, away from the statism, away from uh, collusion, away from freedom. You know, these so-called Democrats that call themselves progressives, they're not progressives. They're, they're going to build up the police state. They're going to sell it out to the Department of Homeland Security, crack down on Occupy some more, uh, just like the Republicans would. I see them equally the same. It's another Obama versus Romney situation, and we shouldn't buy it. Uh, 
uh, that, that's what I have to say. I, I hope that an independent or like a libertarian or green candidate arises and and uh, actually offers some substance to this race where they uh, take away from these political opportunists or maybe a real progressive, you know, in the Green Party, not these phony progressives that are just corporatists in uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. But the uh, tra- traffic uh, in the North County, San Diego area is uh, there's a 50 mile per hour slowdown at 78 eastbound. Uh, near Rancho Santa Fe Road. And that uh, does it for the traffic problems. Weather outside in San Marcos, California is 73 degrees. Broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. That has been your news. Going to take a quick break. Then I want to talk about the Boston bombing and uh, holes in the story. Because it's kind of just gone under the rug, you know. This whole Miley Cyrus thing has put a lot of things under the rug. Just like uh, a lot of a lot of other media hypes have put things under the rug. And there was a trial of Sarnov, so I want to play that. I also want to play the audio from Storm. So the the I want to play the uh, Storm Clouds Gathering take on the on the Boston bombing. Stormcloudsgathering.com is a great website, uh, as well as uh, his uh, video where he displayed the information about the leaked documents that prove that the U.S. government was framing Assad for using those chemical weapons, so you will not want to miss any second. Stay tuned. More Free Thought Radio is on the way. Freethoughtmedia.org You're listening to KKSM and 1320 Oceanside, We're from the government, and we're going to solve all your problems. Do you know what your problem is? Sometimes people make the wrong choices, but we're going to help them make the right choices. With guns. Hey, you're not running your business right. You're not paying people enough money. You're not hiring the right people. You keep firing the wrong people. Well, do it different. Do it different now! They got two boys kissing on the TV. We can't have that. We can't have boys kissing boys and girls kissing girls. Stop it! Stop it now! You're not doing religion right. You're worshiping all wrong and believing all wrong and wearing the wrong symbols. Well, fix it. Fix it now, damn it. Are you interested in peaceful solutions to LGBT issues? Listen to Flaming Freedom on the Liberty Radio Network every Tuesday and Saturday night from 10 p.m. to midnight. Or download any show for free from flamingfreedom.com. Are you tired of governments around the world killing innocent people? Stop using their money. There is an alternative. Bitcoin is a stateless, free market, non-political currency. Bitcoin is money that cannot be inflated or controlled by any state. By continuing to use their money, you're perpetuating the killing. Stop doing it. You have an incredible alternative available to you now. Learn it, use it, spread it. Get started with Bitcoin at WeUseCoins.com. It's WeUseCoins.com. We're involved in sort of a low-key war against apathy where they might just for a second question enough of their environment to do something about it. As long as they don't feel their environment and they don't worry about it, they're not going to do anything to change it. And something's got to be done before America scarfs up the world and on it. Free Thought Radio, your source for independent music, independent talk from independent minds. Only on KKSM AM 1320 the radio revolution and podcasting on lrn.fm 
the Liberty Radio Network, freethoughtmedia.org. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio, freethoughtmedia.org, where Freethought TV is also at. It's on KKSM Oceanside, AM 1320, and Cox Cable Channel 957. We are the Radio Revolution, as well as podcasting on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network in Keene, New Hampshire. And um, so let's bring the Boston bombing into forefront here. What was it all about? Uh, what are the motives behind these guys? We never really hear. We he- we hear all the big hoopla and the and the media explosion and, and hyping of everything, but we don't actually hear what's what what these guys were all about. You know, we just hear Muslim, and then therefore they're bad, and they did the, they want to blow up people just because they're, they're Muslim. But we don't look into what they're actually all about. So I just want to. S- Start it off here before I go into it myself. I want to start it off with a, a video uh, blog from the YouTube channel Storm Clouds Gathering and StormCloudsGathering.com. This is called The Boston Bombing What You Aren't Being Told. The Boston Bombing was a horrific tragedy, and whoever was behind this event deserves to be brought to justice. Unfortunately, there's a great deal of evidence that indicates that this isn't going to happen. The mainstream media and government authorities are hiding the real story. In this video, we are going to demonstrate that at the very minimum, the authorities had prior knowledge of the attack and allowed it to happen. Now, the first anomaly that surfaced immediately after the bombing was an eyewitness account indicating that there were government agents on the scene and on the roof right before the blast. This eyewitness account can be confirmed by looking at photographic evidence before and after the event. There are pictures clearly showing someone on the roof and several men wearing identical pants, boots, and shirts and listening to communications through devices in their ears. These men were positioned right next to the blast zone, then later moved across the street just before the bomb went off. These same men were then seen communicating with authorities after the explosion. One photo shows one of these men walking around on the scene with an unidentified device. Another shows someone crouching next to a backpack in a doorway. This photographic evidence opens up another can of worms because these uniforms match the dress code of a private security company called Kraft International. And in one of the photos, a logo can be seen on one of their hats that seems to match the Kraft International logo. Neither the mainstream media nor government officials have made any mention of the contractors. And when government officials were confronted, they refused to answer the question. Next question, please. Next question, please. Yes. So there's a lot yes. more evidence of a cover-up that we aren't even going to touch here because it would open up way too many tangents. If you do a little research on your own, you'll find plenty of information. Just what we showed here clearly indicates that the Sarnoff brothers weren't acting alone if they were indeed involved in the bombing. However, their parents have come forward stating that their sons had been in contact with the FBI for years and that they were framed by the U.S. government. There are also serious questions concerning the death of the older brother. The mainstream media released this footage of someone closely resembling him being placed under arrest alive and well. Yet shortly after, it was reported that he was killed in a shootout. Just like in the Dorner case, it seems like someone didn't want these men to get the chance to stand trial. Of course, the authorities haven't commented on this at all. What really happened? Well, we won't know unless there's a real investigation, which at this point seemed highly unlikely. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are, are you trying to say that the government was involved in a plot to kill and injure its own citizens? That's crazy talk. Really, you think so? Funny, Ted Gunderson, a former FBI chief, has a different point of view. Look at the terrorist acts that have occurred. The CIA behind most, if not all of them. We had the Marine Barracks, their embassy in Kenya. Uh, we had Pan Am 103. Uh, we had the USS Cole. Uh, we had Oklahoma City. We had the World Trade Center in 1993. So if this event was engineered by the government or intentionally allowed to happen, what's the motive? 
Well, let's look at how the government responded. Just two days after the attack, Senator Lautenberg announced he was going to reintroduce legislation requiring background checks for the sale of gunpowder. And as we warned in a previous video, while everyone was distracted by these events, they passed the CESPA internet bill in the House. Now it just has to go through the Senate. Also under this cover, the president signed a law called S-716, which basically gutted the Stock Act, which was intended to make it harder for the legislative and executive branches from engaging in insider trading. The media distraction conveniently kept the attention off of this. However, the most disturbing aspect of this situation is the way they used it to roll out martial law in the streets. Using the exact armored vehicles we had exposed in a previous video entitled, Government Preparing for a Collapse, and not in a nice way. We saw these militarized SWAT teams searching from house to house with no warrants. The streets looked like a war zone. This was a further extension of the abuses we saw in the Dorner case. What they are doing right now is conditioning the American people for police state justice, where suspects are hunted down by paramilitary forces which break down people's doors at will, and where suspects are mysteriously killed without getting a chance to stand trial. This is what the NDAA looks like, people. They didn't make these laws for nothing, and what we're seeing is just the beginning. Make no mistake, the people who are really behind this event aren't going to stop. There's more to come, and the violations of your rights are going to become more and more blatant. The powers that be are building up to something big. I don't pretend to know what that event is, and I don't pretend to know when it's going to happen. But I will say this, if we allow them to get away with this now, eventually these scenes that we saw in Watertown are going to be directed at political dissidents. All of the signs that your government is preparing for a full police state crackdown are right in front of your eyes. We've shown in previous videos how the government is buying up billions of rounds of hollow point ammunition, setting up plans and training employees for military detention camps for U.S. citizens, and buying up thousands of military-grade armored vehicles like we saw being deployed in Watertown. I understand that this is extreme, and that some of you may be hesitant to share this information with others. But if you see what's at stake here, then you have the responsibility to do everything in your power to wake people up. The embarrassment you may feel when someone calls you a conspiracy theorist or something along those lines is nothing compared to the consequences of allowing these criminals to proceed unhindered. Please make a commitment to reach out to as many people as you can, especially the police, the military, and the DHS. There are good men and women in these organizations. We've got to get their attention. We've got to help them realize where this is going. If we fail, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to wake up and realize that you're living in a full-out military dictatorship. And when that day comes, it's going to be too late. If you'd like more content like this, please subscribe to this channel, Stormclouds Gathering, on YouTube. For updates and bonus content, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash stormcloudsgathering, on Twitter at collapseupdates, and our website stormcloudsgathering.com. And yet another aspect of this um, was, you know, Rachel Maddow came out and said that, oh, they're... They were 9-11 truthers, so 9-11 truthers are all a bunch of terrorists. Well, there, there is an interesting take on this. First, let's, let's talk about the Chechen rebels. The rebellion groups in Chechnya are actually funded by the United States, believe it or not, just like Al-Qaeda in Syria. So if these guys were training with Chechen rebels, why would they blow up America that funds their cause? Or would they would they be working with America, uh, and, and and you know they did it on purpose to, uh, you know maybe a military police state benefits them. But either way, that doesn't make sense. So why if they were part of this Chechen rebellion group uh, to go against Russia, uh, which the U.S. funds still to this day, why 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 would they blow up America that funds them, uh, and if were were they even part of the Chechen rebel group uh, that the United States says they were part of, uh, that they went to these training camps. Uh, but if they were part of, you know, normal Chechnya, maybe on Russia's side, I don't know. Um, 
But that doesn't make sense. And, and 9-11, why would they be 9-11 truthers? Because they would realize that it's, it, uh, it was a kind of a thing to blame on the Muslims uh, when it most likely wasn't perpetrated by Muslims at all. Uh, Saudis, I wouldn't consider them real Muslims if it even was those 19 people. Uh, you know, this Wahhabism is actually funded by the United States. Saudi Arabia is largely funded by the United States. George Bush kisses Saudi princes on the lips. It's so much, so little spectrum people actually understand about foreign policy. Just They just think, oh, Arabia, everywhere, all Muslim countries are bad and associated with terrorism, yet they don't look at these minute details like Saudi Arabia being in bed with the U.S. They're the only ones that export extremist terrorism is Saudi Arabia. And, and the Muslim world hates Saudi Arabia because of it. So they would be, uh, the Sarnav brothers uh, being Muslims, they would be 9-11 truthers because they know that Muslims would never, real Muslims would never do anything like that unless they were part of the U.S.-funded Saudi Arabia bandwagon. Uh, and again, that ties into, you know, why they, they, would they be doing the U.S.'s bidding? Would they be directed by the U.S. or other forces? And if they know that, if they consider that 9-11 was a false flag attack to blame on the Muslims, why would they engage in a terrorist attack that would be blamed on the Muslims? Why, why would they you know, do something if they were actually 9-11 truthers? And that's, that, you know, that's another thing to think about. Uh, and why, why would they say that they were set up? Why would they say that they were innocent? Uh, and and being intercepted by the FBI many times. The FBI goes after people, pretends to be someone else, like they go undercover. They try to the FBI themselves try to instigate terror attacks. Usually they're fake. Maybe in this instance this was real. Uh, usually they give people fake bombs. They the bomb doesn't go off, and that's just when the FBI comes in and arrests them, and then they could have a big show and tell uh, based off of a fake terror attack that they created. Uh, so why would why would they why would they blow up an American city uh, if they know that something like 9/11 was like a, a thing to blame on the Muslims? Why would they fuel that fire uh, if they were to do it? Then it would get blame on the Muslims. They wouldn't do that because of that. And on the point of 9/11, you know, most people say that they would shoot Osama bin Laden. They would be the person to shoot Osama bin Laden in the face. Most people say that they would shoot Hitler in the face. You know, I'm not so sure about Osama bin Laden because, you know, he was a CIA. Yeah, yeah, maybe I would shoot Osama in the face because he worked for the CIA and uh, did creepy things for the CIA. That's mostly because I don't like the CIA, not not because uh, uh, of the way other people want to shoot Osama in the face. But the CIA saw him on dialysis in 1998. What, what, if, what would people say about the actual people that would be behind 9-11? Yes, Mohammed Atta was real. Maybe... A lot of the other people that they found uh, that they said were hijackers actually turned out to be alive later on. So, yeah, maybe not all of those people they claimed to be hijackers were actually the hijackers. But Mohammed Atta was real. He got a bunch of money from Pakistan, I, the Pakistan ISI, which was very much in bed with the U.S. And, and during the 9-11 Commission report, that never got brought up. Uh, the, the, the loan from Pakistan's secret, secret agency or whatever to Mohammed Atta. You know what also never really got brought up? That the only people to get arrested during the emergency of 9-11, the only people to get arrested because under suspicion of being involved 
with 9-11. The only people to get involved out of suspicion of being involved with 9-11 on the day while it was actually happening, before even the buildings collapsed, probably, were Israelis. This is the most interesting part of it all. There were, there were five people. Uh, this, the, the, you know, the police report was first reported by Paulo Lima in The Record, uh, the newspaper of Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, so these five Israelis were seen uh, immediately almost after the impact of, of the first tower. They were seen uh, next to a van that they owned just hugging and and uh, celebrating and high-fiving and smiling and you know odd odd expressions and emotions to show while a building is burning in the background so they then they were filming themselves doing it too um then they actually jumped in their van moved to another vantage point like where you could film the 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 towers and you could see the towers in the background they moved to another uh place in, in jersey city uh, where, where other witnesses saw them do the same thing. So the police issued, you know, uh, an alert to be on the lookout for these guys. The vehicle uh, possibly related to these guys was a, a white van uh, that said Urban Moving Systems on it. And it was seen at Liberty State Park in Jersey City. And uh, these individuals were, you know, just seen celebrating. Now, the van was actually stopped by the police, so they caught these guys a few hours after the thing. So the, the, they, actually, they had five young Israelis on board. They were two brothers, Sivan and Paul Kurzberg, then Yaron Shemuel, Oded Elner, and Omer Mar- Mari. Now they are physically forced out of the vehicle and pinned to the ground because of you know, being suspected of you know, uh, and being involved with 9-11 uh, because of their jovial attitude when the the people were uh got the police call now as soon as when they were forced to the ground Savon kurzberg one of the brothers he he i just out of nowhere said this he said we are israelis we are not your problem your problems are our problems the palestinians are the problem now the police uh, who who talked to the journalist uh were convinced that these guys were involved in the attacks that because they did find maps of the city in the van with uh, some points highlighted, and it looked they say that it looked like they knew that they knew what would happen when they were at Liberty State Park. Uh, they had many passports of various nationalities, as Mossad agents would have, uh, you know, to go from country to country and act like different people. Um, they had six thousand dollars in cash and airline tickets to travel to travel places. So the the Kurtzberg brothers were. They actually were uh, admitted to being Mossad agents. Now, the five, uh, no, I'm not sure about the other ones, that if they were admitting to it, but the, all five of them worked for Urban Moving Systems, where, whose employees were, uh, were Israelis. And uh, the only non-Israeli worker to, be, to work there, you know, said that um, they were saying things like, you know, they were saying anti-American things. They were saying, give us 20 years, we'll take over your country and your media. A few days after September 11th, the police visited the business owner of Urban Moving Systems, who is Dominic Otto Suter. He left the country to Tel Aviv. Scary, he's actually back in the country. Now, the information about Urban Moving Systems uh, showed that, uh, that according to an anonymous U.S. intelligence source that 
Urban Moving Systems was a Mossad undercover unit, a front company, um, and they received $498,750 in tax money. Uh, it doesn't specify whether it's from the U.S. or Israel, uh, but yeah. When I when I, going back to the original point that I made, when people say, you know, I if Hitler was like right in front of me, I would shoot him in the face. And believe me, I hate Hitler too. I I was talking about on the show how George Bush's grandfather uh, laundered money to Hitler. That America actually sponsored the rise of Hitler, maybe to create another war, bank on it, you know. <laughs> As all wars do, a lot of all these people at the top, they bank on both sides of war. That's just how the game is played. But you know, you, there is also a Zionist connection to Hitler. Paul Warburg, who is an architect of the Federal Reserve System, you know, he was at the meeting on Jekyll Island in 1913. He was a Zionist. Uh, he headed many uh, uh, Zionist organizations that claim to be Jewish organizations because you know. Uh, although a lot of people that are Jewish are, have been brainwashed, Zionism is not Judaism, and uh, yeah, nobody's talking about collective punishment. The only people that do the collective punishing are Israel against Palestinians and even Black Jews. So, uh, you know, look, look at look at what's really going on, and you'll see that Israel is the one that's racist and, and apartheid and and murderous and genocidal and collective punishing of people. The, the, when it comes to critics of Israel, we want the people that identifiable individuals, not collective punishing, but identifiable individuals that have actually committed crimes against humanity. They should be held accountable and brought to justice. So when when people say that they would shoot Hitler in the face, and you know, so would I, given that you know I know what kind of a tyrant he actually is, rather than what we think he is, uh, based on these lies, only one sided. We don't see the American intervention to create Hitler's rise to power. Uh, and the type of, I mean, Israel is employing the same racist fascism that Hitler employed. No wonder. Uh, Goebbels paid a visit to Palestine, issued a coin uh, made out of brass or bronze or something. One side it had the swastika, the other side it had the, uh, it had the, the, uh, the uh, six-pointed star uh, with, I, I forget the, uh, the exact, it was in German, so it said Palestina, and then it also had the word Nazi in it. Uh, I forget what the full sentence was, but when you have Palestina and Nazi on the same side of this, as a six-pointed star with a swastika on the back of that coin that was issued by Goebbels visiting Palestine, you kind of get to wonder where is this whole picture, uh, you know, that, you know, Zionists viewed Jews as the Jewish problem, and it was part of this whole thing to expel them out of Europe with with Hitler's help, either kill them or expel them, and then and use it as an excuse to to kill and expel another people, which is the Palestinian people. So it's a double, you know, it's a double thing. It's so very interesting. But, you know, I'm not talking about hurting uh, these people. Uh, with their, I'm just talking about journalizing about people like Dominic Suter, talking about them. That is the truth. That is journalism. That, that there is nothing wrong. So people would say that they would shoot Hitler or, or Osama in the face. Uh, you know, why not just journalize on them? That's all I'm doing. And you know what? The, this ties into something that to next week uh, because uh, reporters that have reported on this have winded up on FBI watch list. You know, just writing down the facts, journalizing about it. They ended up on FBI watch list. So it's just a, it, it's 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 absolutely, you know, something that needs to be brought to light to know why we're justifying all this stuff that's going on in the first place. 
and it's it's not anti most people that come out about this are Jewish themselves uh, so you know it, it's something that needs to be talked about given that we're close to this anniversary um, but I want to take a break and play this song called Mind Control and then after that by Sons of Liberty and then after that 1000 Eyes by Death because it has to do with Snowden and surveillance uh, and, and what, what what is going on, what we're living in, that kids that have Xbox Connects now are going to grow up in a world where privacy is something that they will never know. So this is Mind Control, Don't Watch Your TV by Sons of Liberty. On KKSM AM 1320, The Radio Revolution and LRN.FM, The Liberty Radio Network. Be right back. Sedated and so safe You walk around like puppets You parrot what you see You're victims of my mind control Addicted to TV I am the strongest weapon It's what I'm designed to be A tool of propaganda To mold society the Western nations, I brought them to their knees. With constant bread and circus, we stole their liberty.
KKSM, where Elvis never left the building. The Radio Revolution. Welcome back, guys. And, uh, you know, whistleblowing is something that needs to occur, uh, given that these uh, atrocities of spying and murdering of innocent people are happening on a daily basis. And it is not fiction that the only people to be arrested on the day of September 11th were Israelis. I mean, Osama was never even charged with a crime. I mean, these guys, uh, I'm not sure if they were, but they were certainly interrogated for a long time. Uh, I have a copy of the FBI of Newark police report. It's a partially declassified, 60-page long, uh, partially declassified. Thanks to a FOIA request, it was thrown up on the Internet maybe uh, not too long ago. Uh, It was thrown up on the internet and you read it through and it's just like wow um you know and one of the actually one of the first whistleblowers i heard to mention this was uh was somebody that was actually jewish too and ex-marine so it goes to show that you know people that are ardently anti-zionist are also a lot a lot of the times jewish so don't buy the adl fear-mongering that criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Nobody's talking about collective punishing. The only people that do collective punishing is the state of Israel, and even against their the own people they claim to represent. And you know, uh, Big Boy from Outcast, he talked about his moments in dealing with racism. He said that when people come up to him at the airport after the 2012 election, they congratulated him that 
their his guy got in because Big Boy, you know, from Outcast, he's African American. Big Boy responded to that lady by saying, "Bitch, I voted for Gary Johnson." <laughs> I think it's the same thing with with Israel. When everybody, if somebody like feels like they need to present their white guilt or whatever, they need to say if they meet somebody that's Jewish, they say, "Oh, how's Israel doing?" You know. Bitch, why do you assume that just because somebody's Jewish that they support killing and murdering innocent people uh, or, or, or that they are part of this Zionist uh, uh, psychopathic cult? Not everybody is. So again, going back to a few identifiable war criminals like the five people arrested on 9-11 or Ariel Sharon or Netanyahu, not every Jewish person on this earth. Nobody's talking about punishing people because of the way they were born. But this is truth. This is... It actually happened. Nobody's lying about this. It's just the media has never covered it. Actually, Fox News did before it actually got pulled off the airwaves permanently. Carl Cameron and Britt Hume did a five-part report about all the spies uh, from Israel that were arrested in and around 9-11 uh, due to their uh, spy in involvement. And Carl Cameron even said it himself. It, it, is, it, it is hard to believe that they didn't know about September 11th, given that they were spying on the Arab communities. Even some of them were living right next door to Mohammed Atta. Again, who I, I still contend Mohammed Atta was, yes, involved in 9-11 because he got a bunch of money from Pakistan's ISI. But all the other 19 people, I don't know about so much because a lot of them were found alive. So there is there there is some uh, bull to some of the other uh, 18 uh, alleged hijackers. Um but who knows, given uh, Israel works closely with Al-Qaeda, maybe they could have been buddy-buddies with Mohammed Atta. But again, this is a real live police report from the FBI of Newark incriminating those Mossad agents that were the only people to be arrested on 9-11. And you know another thing? The, the dude that banked, made bank off the buildings collapse with an insurance policy that happened to cover terrorism. They asked him where he was, Larry Silverstein, where he was on September 11th. You know what he said? Well, I usually go there. I usually go to work every day. But, you know, my wife, he, she saw some stuff on my skin and, you know, made me a dermatologist appointment. And he is the one that actually admitted to that Building 7 was a controlled demolition because of, you know, all the fires going on in the building and all the death, as he said, all the death going on throughout the day that I'm, I'm quoting him. He said that we needed to pull it down, so we did. And I, uh, so he admitted that you know they pulled it down because of the fire damage. Well, it, it's getting closer about that time to another anniversary. Um, I don't like to harp on this stuff. I hate being conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy all the time. But I don't put the word theory attached to it because none of this is theory. There are plenty of theorists out there that go on and speculate about you know. Well, it could have happened. There's nothing theoretical about that FBI document. There's nothing theoretical about those five Israelis being arrested on September 11th. That is 100% fact and reality. We've got to accept it because we got to realize that all these things that were, all these wars, all these killing of innocent people, all these surveillance measures, it's all done in the name of 9-11. Uh, I still think that there should be light shed on it. Uh, and the 9-11 commission was a farce to begin with. And, and, it's an affront to the families of 9-11 because they were the main ones pushing for truth. They were the main ones talking about Building 7. They were the main ones yelling at all the people, the, the weirdos that were appointed to this so-called commission, like Henry Kissinger, who was later fired 
because he couldn't disprove that he was tied to the Bin Ladens. So it, it is time to whistle blow, and nobody is talking about collective punishment of anybody because Jews come out about this, so a lot of Jews are against Israel, believe it or not. Uh, if you would take away from, you know, the, the guilt complex of people saying, you know, trying to be so condescending like they were to Big Boy of Outcast, uh, you know, re regarding uh, Obama saying, oh, I'm so glad your guy won just because he's African-American. That's so racist. So, so is going up to every Jewish person you meet and, and assuming they're for Israel. Or, or, or assuming every American's for these wars. Or, you know, just is, is a stereotypical American. It, you know, no... All religions say, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, including the Muslim religion, the Jewish religion, and the Christian religion. But when you get into these organized religions, you had militarism in the mix and money. You got the Vatican, you got Zionism, and then you got Saudi Arabia. Those are all perversions of every single world religion. And you could attribute that to the United States government. The United States government is the reason why the Vatican's are a bunch of trillionaires the reason why the Vatican has their own army and can engage in military interventions. They actually do. Did you know that the Vatican wages war on small islands and other, you know, on uh, island peoples like near Samoa and stuff and all? Why? The United States gives $30 billion a year to Israel to do the, the Zionism thing and, and beat up on, on, you know, genocide against Palestinians and then beat up on Jewish people who oppose the Likud party and the Zionist state. In fact, I had a person from Jews Against Zionism on my show. You know, he's the one that hugged Ahmadinejad. And as much as I don't like Ahmadinejad, I don't think any government represents anything. I'm, I think every, most governments in this world are to some degree tyrannical. Uh, but he's not what they say they are. He said that they, he wanted to get rid of the Zionist regime and wipe it from the pages of history. Just like they... F it, it, let's say the Osama bin Laden confession tape was real. They still fudged the the uh the translation if you actually listen to it in in arabic it's not he didn't never confess to anything everybody in that region says they want to live in peace with the jews the zionists are the biggest uh opposition to that and the zionists don't even live in peace with the jews themselves uh for those who those jews that oppose the zionist agenda of murder you know <laughs> Yeah, going back to their original religious principles of not murdering people. Yeah, once that gets in the way of a government and a military with some sick ideology, that's when you find people like uh, d people who refuse to enlist in the IDF, they go to jail. So there's a whole big discussion that's not taking place. All you hear from these scaremongers is that criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Well, we don't see how uh, Israel works hand-in-hand uh, -hand with these Al-Qaeda fighters. Uh helping them to go against Syria or training uh, Taliban in Pakistan. We don't hear about the five Israelis, the only people to be arrested on September 11th. You know, we don't, we don't hear about, uh, you know, Hitler hanging out with the founders of Zionism, uh, you know, agreeing that Jews are the problems because the founders of Zionism hated Jews. They wanted, you know, all the people that have beards and everything like that, the founders of Zionism viewed those people as low-grade ghetto uh, people, they said they they don't want the Palestine that they're about to take over to turn into a a ghetto full of you know you know you know low grade Jews that they viewed everybody else as, you know they viewed themselves as superior because they were you know high class modern you know white uh, rich oligarchs that detested their own religion. We don't hear about that again. 
You know, we, all we hear is criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Well, I'm sick of hearing that because it isn't. <laughs> Israel is anti-Semitic. They bag on Jews and Palestinians equal, all, almost equally, except for the fact that, you know, Palestinians get it worse. And, and, and then they call people self-hating Jews or alibi Jews. That, that is the most racist thing I have ever heard, especially to, to smart, you know, especially people who criticize libertarian thinkers, like the most anti-war libertarian thinkers have also been Jewish, like Murray Rothbard. He was ardently anti-Israel, and then all these uh, Zionists go out and call him a, an alibi Jew for the, you know, the anti-Semitism within the libertarian movement. Are you kidding me? You know, that's so offensive. Just, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry if you own your own mind, have a conscience that you don't want to murder people. You just must be a self-hating Jew. That's the most offensive thing I've ever heard. They do that to Adam Kokesh, who's also Jewish, hates Israel because of, you know, he doesn't want to stand by the murder. You know, not in our names, the Jews that are involved with the boycott, divestment, sanctions. You know, it's just a, it's just a logical fallacy because they just want to protect their war crimes these American Defamation League people and the APACs, I would suggest, you know, checking out places like Jewish Voice for Peace if you really want to see why criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic. It's criticism of murder of people because they're Palestinian or Muslim or not or non-white Jews or non-Zionist Jews. You, you can see police going into synagogues and beating the crap out of people. And, you know, I talked about the five Israelis that were the only people to be arrested on 9-11 and, and, and on the subject of Israeli false flags, they would actually plant bombs in synagogues in Iraq, be willing to kill their own people just to blame it on the Arabs. So they don't care about Jews. And, and Hitler, did, you know, Hitler murdered plenty of people besides the Jews. Uh, Hitler was a racist and everything like that. He was brought to power by the U.S., by oligarchs like George W. Bush's grandfather and one of the architects of the Federal Reserve. So it's the same fascism. Israel, Hitler, no difference. No, no difference. So, and, and you know, I, I'm not ashamed to say that we need to, I, I'm not going to assume what happened on 9-11. I don't want to say that it was some kind of a, uh, you know, holographic planes or whatever the, the kooks want to say. You know, there, I don't want to go into theory. I want to talk about fact. I want to talk about the the actual police report of the five Israelis that were arrested on 9-11. And you know what happens to people that report on that? They get put on FBI watch lists. Such as uh, uh, antiwar.com contributor Justin Ramondo, who wrote a book called 9-11, uh, The Terror Enigma. And he's one of my favorite you know, journalists. I don't consider him to be anti-Semitic because one of his heroes is Murray Rothbard, the Jewish economist who is anti-Israel. You know, founder of anarcho-capitalism, essentially. Murray Rothbard, but all the Zionists call Murray Rothbard a self-hating Jew. So you just get to see the inner workings of this flawed Zionist philosophy, how they even aren't good to Jews. So what is it for? Why must Palestinians die for something that isn't even rep doesn't even, you know, isn't even good for the Jews as a whole? So what, what what's going on here? Uh, and with the Israel-Palestinian negotiations. You know, Palestine isn't getting anything, even from the people that claim to represent Palestine. They're soft leaders. Uh, and you know, this is all about peace and love and understanding and harmony and 
All, nobody's talking about getting rid of the Jewish people. They're just talking about getting rid of the Israeli government. It's just a few figureheads with fancy political titles, removing their political titles, removing people's ability to use force with impunity. No force, non-aggression. What a wicked concept, eh? And, and Likud party is a large minority, or maybe they are even a majority, and they're oppressing the rights of and, and misrepresenting you know, Jewish anti-Zionists in the region. But again, it's like... This Likud party has got to go. Uh, Ariel Sharon said that that Israel, he admitted that he said, quote, we control America. Netanyahu said, quote, 9-11 was good for Israel. What kind of what kind of stuff is that? And then the only people arguing for free Palestine are saying that everybody will get all equal rights. Jews, Christians, Muslims, whatever. Atheists, seculars. It would be a non-denominational, you know, to, to see somebody like, Ahmadinejad hug somebody that's Jewish without stabbing them. You get to wonder that the, the West is lying. As much as I don't like Ahmadinejad at all, or Assad, you know, these Al-Qaeda fighters that the U.S. and Israel are backing, far worse, far, far worse. They eat the organs of their victims. They're actually the extremist Islamists, but that's a fake interpretation of Islam perpetuated by the U.S.-backed Saudi Arabia. So we really got to really dig deep and see that the world's religions have been perverted by the U.S. and militarism. And that average people on the grassroots level, on the individual level, in the Jewish and Muslim and Christian religion, they're all good people because, you know what, spirituality is an individual thing. It's not this organized religion, money, militarism crap. That's, a, that's all a perversion. And yeah, certain people within those, you know, they're all, you know, people that are brainwashed by Zionism or brainwashed by the Vatican or brainwashed by Saudi's Wahhabism, uh, you know, they certainly believe that they're representing their religion, you know. But the people at the very top, like the people that founded Zionism, hated Ju Judaism and hated other Jews. They let a lot of people die in the Holocaust because they wanted to get a ethnically superior blend of people to go to Palestine because they viewed all the bearded people. They view them as, you know, like disgusting peasants. I don't want to, I don't want people to look at you. That's just wow. That, being, being a journalist and being able, being able to see these things... Uh, it, it, truth shall set you free, honestly, and it will lead to peace and prosperity and nobody killing anybody anymore. Nobody's talking about killing the Jews uh, because that would be collective punishment. The only people doing collective punishing is Israel against Palestinians because a lot of Jews actually hate Israel because they don't want to murder people because of who they are. And the only people that should be punished are identifiable individuals, not collective punishing, but identifiable individuals that are war criminals. And hey, not even the, just Israel, United States, Bush, Cheney, uh, Hillary, Obama, Rumsfeld, Zbigniew Brzezinski, go down the list. People that have actually committed crimes, not because, you know, not blaming the Jews in general, just because of the way somebody was born, they didn't choose to... Uh, or they were born into a Jewish anti-Zionist family to begin with. It's just the, the, the media creates this false left-right paradigm that divides and conquers us. And, and then, of course, they have a Zionist tinge to them that makes you think that any, any and all criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic when it isn't. So we've got to know what's what from what. And now I want to play the thing to do with Syria because it is a frame job, this chemical weapons thing. This is from Storm Clouds Gathering. It's leaked documents, U.S. framed Syria in chemical weapons attack. It is very damning of the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia. Take a listen.
And that would, I think that would be it for, for tonight's show. Next week, I have antiwar.com contributors coming on the program. We're going to do a fundraiser. Also, Professor Thaddeus Russell of Occidental College up in, up in, uh, here in Southern California. Going to be raising money. Also going to be covering the Libertopia uh, event, which is happening this weekend. It's a festival. I'm going to be DJing the parties. Uh, going to have a media set up there. Going to teach guitar lessons and stuff. But I'm going to accept alternative currencies like silver and copper and Bitcoin and and barter or whatever, voluntary trade. Maybe I'll be charitable voluntarily. So here is, uh, tune in next week But for that, but here is the, the truth behind the chemical weapons in Syria. Brought to you by stormcloudsgathering.com. On August 21st, 2013, chemical weapons were used in the Syrian conflict yet again. Western powers, the U.S. and France in particular, didn't hesitate for a moment to take advantage of the tragedy, decrying it as a crime against humanity and using it as a springboard to announce their preparations for military strikes against the Syrian government. Make no mistake, this was a crime against humanity, but the gas was not used by the Syrian government. It was used by the NATO-backed rebels. In this video, we're going to show you definitive evidence to support this claim. And we're going to explain the U.S. and NATO's motive for committing such an atrocity. The leaked documents that we're going to be presenting are available for you to download yourself. You'll find a link in the description to that download, and you'll also find links to the mainstream articles we use in our research. Now, in order to really understand this event, we need to look at it in context. The United States has had Syria and Iran in their crosshairs for a long time. The plans for these wars have been in the works for over a decade. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to Al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. The U.S. government doesn't like to present its wars as empire building. They prefer to paint themselves as defenders of democracy and human rights. To accomplish this little public relations sleight of hand, they've proven time and time again that they're willing to flat out make stuff up, and they're willing to kill thousands of people to advance their political objectives. We saw a blatant example of this in the Iraq War, where they tried accusing Saddam of still harboring the chemical weapons that the U.S. had provided him in his war against Iran. Even back in the 80s, the U.S. was trying to take out the Iranians. They didn't like the fact that their puppet, the Shah, had been ousted in 1979. And as Wesley Clark pointed out, the end game is still Iran. For a long time, they tried going after Iran directly by accusing them of building nuclear weapons. But this line of worn-out propaganda fell apart when elements within the CIA and Mossad came forward stating that there was no evidence that Iran even intended to build such a weapon. 
can only cry wolf so many times before people start rolling their eyes. So these chicken hawk neocons switch their strategy and decide to go after Syria to get to Iran. They know that Syria and Iran have a mutual defense agreement, and if NATO forces enter Syria, Iran will be drawn into the fight. Rather than attacking Syria directly, the US and NATO have been running a proxy war by arming and funding the Syrian rebels, also known as the FSA, funneling these resources through their allies in the region. To obscure the source of this support, Qatar has been used to purchase the weapons from countries like Sudan, then route them to Syria via Turkey. Qatar is a close military ally of the US. They provided tank support in the Gulf War of 91, and Qatar served as a US Central Command headquarters during the US invasion of Iraq in 2003. Fast forward to January of 2013 when it was revealed that emails and a large quantity of sensitive documents from Brenham Defense, a UK-based military contractor, were leaked by a hacker. These documents exposed a proposal coming from Qatar to launch false flag chemical weapons attacks in Syria and blame it on the Syrian government. According to the documents, the plan had the full support of Washington, and enormous sums of money had been offered for the project. The person sending these emails was David Goulding, the managing director of Britom. The addressee was Philip Doughty, dynamic director and founder of Britom Defense. By accessing the servers, the hacker was able to obtain the scans of Doughty's passport, resume, as well as the passports of the Ukrainian operatives that the email suggested should be used to carry out the attack. The leak also included hundreds of other documents containing detailed financial and operational information for Britom Defense, including scores of signed contracts, weekly assessments, and incident reports for projects in multiple countries. Among these were details regarding a contract with Saudi Arabia to help prepare their forces for war with Iran. The leaks also depicted a tight business relationship with the infamous war profiteer, Halliburton. The documents acquired by this hacker were not easy to come by. Most of the places where they were uploaded were taken down very quickly without explanation. However, we did manage to get the files, and we've spent quite a bit of time analyzing them. After investing this time, it's very clear to us that they're real. But don't take my word for it. Just take a look in the description for the download link and go verify for yourself. This leak was never mentioned by the mainstream media at all in the United States or Europe. And there was no investigation whatsoever, even though what was being discussed here was clearly plans to commit a war crime. Three months passed, and on March 19th, sarin gas was used in Syria near Aleppo. Israel and the U.S. promptly blamed the Syrian government for the attacks even though many of those who were killed were Syrian government soldiers. Obama began talking about the event as a red line that had been crossed, and the warmongers began their saber-rattling in earnest. However, the UN insisted on investigating the issue themselves, and on May 6, 2013, UN investigator Carla Del Ponte went public stating that evidence from their investigation indicated that it was the Syrian rebels who had used the sarin gas, and that there was no indication that the Syrian government had launched any chemical attacks whatsoever. Russia's UN ambassador, Vitaly Churkin, agreed with Del Ponte after Russian experts visited the location where the projectile struck and took their own samples of the material from the site. Those samples were then analyzed at a Russian laboratory certified by the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. According to the lab results, they found that the presence of hexogen, utilized as an opening charge, and which is not used in standard chemical munitions, pointed to the attack being launched by the rebels. Rather than cover this development, the mainstream media did what they always do when they don't want the public to look at something. They simply changed the subject. Now, of course, the fact that the U.S.-backed rebels had attempted to frame the Syrian government in order to build support for a NATO invasion would be bad enough. They were trying to start a war of aggression. But let's remember that sarin gas was in fact used. This means that the U.S. and its allies were willing to commit a blatant war crime, killing scores of civilians in order to justify toppling Assad. Nor did the U.S. withdraw their support after this event. In fact, they increased it. In July, the U.S. began openly discussing, quote, kinetic strikes against Syria, as if their lies hadn't been exposed. This, of course, brings us to the attack on August 21st, 2013, where they attempted once again to frame the Syrian government for the use of sarin gas, and once again, they got caught. The first wave of media coverage tried to pin the attack on the Syrian government, and the U.S. and France instantly came out condemning Assad. By August 24th, the Pentagon had already announced plans for missile strikes. But even as they did, their story was already falling apart. 
The Syrian army came forward that same day with footage to back up their report that they had uncovered a massive chemical weapons cache in rebel tunnels in the Damascus suburb of Jobar. This is the exact neighborhood where the chemical attack took place. The Syrian government's version of events is backed up by several key bits of evidence. 1. On May 31, 2013, security forces in Turkey found a 2-kilogram cylinder filled with sarin gas after searching the homes of Syrian militants. 2. On July 7, the Syrian army went public about a chemical lab that they had found belonging to the rebels in the city of Baneas. And three, we already have these documents clearly showing that the U.S. was backing a plan to frame the Syrian government with chemical weapons. All of this clearly shows that the rebels had the means and the intent. However, the most obvious variable in this equation is motive. The only parties that benefit from launching this attack are the Syrian rebels, the U.S., and its NATO allies. The Syrian government knows full well that the U.S. and NATO have been looking for any excuse to invade. The last thing that they want to do is hand them that excuse. The rebels, on the other hand, have already been caught committing brutal atrocities and they've already been caught creating fake video of civilian casualties. The clip you're watching right now is one of the most famous examples. This chemical attack, launched on August 21st, fits with their previous pattern. The rebels further exposed their hand when two days after the attack, they released a video statement vowing to strike back with any and all means. They claimed to have access to chemical weapons, and they stated that they now intended to use them in the conflict with zero reservations from this point forward. Essentially, they're using their own crime as a pretext to openly start using chemical weapons in combat. The stakes in this cover-up are high. Russia and China have both openly sided with Syria and Iran, and Russia has warned that thermonuclear war could result if the U.S. continues down this path. That's an outcome that's too horrific to even contemplate. However, even if that worst-case scenario is averted, this is still a matter of life and death for the Syrian and Iranian people. If the U.S. invades, a lot of civilians are going to die. Their situation is not going to be improved by the U.S. attacking, any more than it was in Iraq or any of the other countries that we've toppled. We have to do everything in our power to stop this. Please help us get this information out to everyone, especially those in the military. Share this to Facebook, to Twitter, post it on your website. Download those documents, put them on disk with this video, and hand them out on the streets. If you're in the military and you find this video, please send it to your commanding officer and to everyone that you trust in your unit. If you're afraid of being punished, then find a way to send it anonymously. Hundreds of people were killed in these attacks, many of them children, and the U.S. government was behind it. If you're a parent, imagine what it would feel like if it were your son or your daughter who had been slaughtered to forward the political objectives of these psychopaths. Think about it long and hard, because these things have a way of coming home to roost. For more videos like this, subscribe to Stormclouds Gathering on YouTube. For updates, bonus content, and to influence future videos, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash stormcloudsgathering. Our Twitter handle is collapseupdates, and our website is stormcloudsgathering.com. And thank you guys for tuning in to Free Thought Radio once again. Uh, please uh, help oppose this war in Syria and let it be known that it, that the sarin nerve gas is a frame job uh, to try to to try to invade Syria. But on a lighter note, Wu Tang Clan has been confirmed to play at the uh, United We Stand Festival up in LA October twelfth uh, to smash the two party system peacefully with. Uh, the way it should be, because it's all about peace here. You know that people shouldn't be punished because of the way they're born, uh, no matter what. Or and even then, people aren't even uh, responsible for the th the sins of their fathers. So everybody should be judged as an individual. And uh, you know, the only thing keeping humanity down are states and governments. There is no uh, overpopulation problem. The only people who think that there's an overpopulation problem are like the Rockefellers and Bill Gates. And the people that wage war, you know, hey, this is this is all. This is just one big culling operation is war. There's no other way to cut war than killing your own fellow human beings. That is ugly.
So tune in next week. Got Libertopia and Antiwar.com live telethon fundraiser. You've been listening to here to KKSM, AM 1320, The Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, The Liberty Radio Network. See you guys next week.